You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. I know we were away for a week. We apologize. We just couldn't get the timing right, but uh, we are back, and um, we got our special Robert Forster episode. Unfortunately, uh, Robert yes. uh, Forster passed away not too long ago, and as we try to do, we try to uh, uh, you know put together little episodes here and there to kind of say you know. Uh, thank you for everything you did, and uh, a little bit of an homage or a tribute to whoever passed away. We don't get everyone, but every now and then we get one, and this is a good opportunity. This was Will's idea, so it's a pretty good opportunity, and also gave us a chance to talk about Vigilante, which I think is something that's probably been on the docket for t- <laughs> 10 years. Since day one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been around forever. So uh, This week we will be talking uh, The Black Hole from 1979. Uh uh, Todd's uh, Todd watched a film called The Quivering Rim, but we yes, that was tried, a different uh, yeah. black hole. Yeah, that was the different wrong wrong hole. Uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we talk about it. You live it. Yeah, I do. Some people use the ATM. Todd's ATM stands for something else. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. And we're going to that be laffy taffy coming up again. <laughs> yeah, there goes. And mm. we got the uh, the. <laughs> We got Vigilante from 1982, directed by one Billy Lustig, William Lustig himself, back on the show. It had been a while. So I should say The Black Hole, directed by Greg Nelson. Gary Nelson, not Greg. Greg, Gary. Was, Greg was the other Nelson. Gary, Gary won't mind. Yeah, Gary. Greg, his, his odd twin brother. <laughs> yeah, Gary and Greg, the uh, Nelsons. Here she comes. <laughs> you know. All I wanted is your love and affection. There we that go. The song? Yeah. <laughs> Look at you go. Yeah, that ATM did you good. Yeah, uh, so did those beers, but, you know. Those beers are they're still... They're doing me no good right now. <laughs> they're still kicking around. Uh, they are. <laughs> um, so, if, for full disclosure, we're doing uh, two episodes this week, this morning, as we record. A lot of you know over the years and who have been on the show that we record bright and early most times, unless it's a special occasion. And... uh 
I'll be out of town in a week, and uh, so we kind of we got we're going to try to put together uh, two shows here. So we're up we're up really early. So uh, or we're up really late. Whatever you want to look at it. So we're going to kind of get into it here a little bit. Um, that is the show this week. What have we been watching? Todd ATM, go ahead. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. I watched, uh, I did Seven Chances last time, uh, Dawson City Frozen Time uh, from 2016. A very interesting documentary uh, about this uh, collection of films that got uh, dug up in uh, Dawson City up in, what is it, Alaska, I believe, or something. Um, you tell, no, us. You, you tell us. I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Canada. Uh, because, oh, uh, Canada, um, they uh, they apparently just buried them all because it was the end of the uh, the distribution circuit. The yeah. the, uh, the distributors didn't actually want the movies back. Uh, it's a it's a really good movie. Um, the the biggest problem with it is that it is it, they tend to want to show you um, multiple scenes of the actual films that got dug up. Um, for almost every point of the movie that they make, which I can understand the reason why. I, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of us are never going to see these movies in their entirety or at all. Uh, so they, I guess they want to get as much on the screen as they possibly can. But at the same time, uh, that really tends to drag the pacing down. And think, I mean, this thing is like two hours long. Um, and you really start to feel the time around the hour and a half mark, even though a lot of it is almost strictly... Uh, a history lesson, not only of Dawson City, uh, but of stuff surrounding it. Like it, it gets into a whole thing about that uh, 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 shoeless Joe thing. Uh, the eight uh, eight guys in uh, the Black Sox in, scandal. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, it, it gets into that extensively. It gets into it gets into a few th- uh, little tangents um, that it probably could have, you know cut back on but at the same time I, I, I appreciate what, what's going on here and it is really well made a lot of it plays like uh, a silent movie with just uh, subtitles that pop up uh, to let you know what's going on there's almost no dialogue almost no interviews uh, to be had uh, so in that respect I really appreciate you know what's going on with it but at the same time yeah it, it could use a little bit of uh, a tightening up as far as, uh, as far as my opinion goes uh, but I would recommend it absolutely and absolutely for uh, for people who are interested in the history of cinema and history in general, uh, and especially for stuff like the Gold Rush and that. Um, we got 1977, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, starring the one and only Patrick Wayne, son of the one and only John Wayne. Mm. Uh, and yeah. but most important, most importantly, <laughs> starring Ray Harryhausen's uh, stop motion animation. Yeah, so most importantly, indeed. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. This is uh, this is the least of the Sinbad movies, in my opinion. Well, uh, and <laughs> rightfully so. I think I will fight that one to death. Yeah. Um, Might be a reason for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's also it's still a lot of fun whenever his uh, his stuff appears on screen because I mean that's let's face it this is what you go to these movies for uh, and he, you know Harryhausen at the very least delivers the goods uh, the story is lacking um, it does have uh, Jane Seymour showing up uh, and you know that's always a you know check one off on the uh, the the list there. Um, and it's also got uh, Doctor Who in it, Patrick Troughton, uh, just like in the uh, the one before this, the Golden Voyage, that had Tom Baker. So, 
yeah. you know, it's, you take what you can get where you can get it. And, uh, yeah, I still kind of have a soft spot for this one. I, I certainly don't, uh, don't love it. Like I love some of the other ones. Um, but you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. Um, but not for much more than, uh, than Harry Housen's work on it, which is as always is, uh, beyond, beyond being up to snuff. And what's, what's, What's beyond being up to snuff? Like superlative? No, I wouldn't go that far. But no. it's still Harryhausen. It's ATM. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, oh, so I saw this. <laughs> I saw this movie called The Standoff at Sparrow Creek, 2018. Oh yeah, I watched um, that. I watched and that. I just saw it. I'm sorry. I watched that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I I, I just watched it on like I put it on my my Netflix DVD thing, which I still have. I'm one of the few suckers that still has that thing only because oh. they don't have everything that I want to see on their, uh, I still, their I still got it too. And I have, uh, it, like, I think I've said this before, maybe six months ago, but, uh, for anybody that's looking to review or rent, uh, you know, if they only have one copy of Michael Haneke's Amour, uh, or whatever, Is it cause you have it. It's because I have it and I've had it now for close to two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, i always you're, i always you're joke the one, you're around the one, you're the one who bought the dvd at this point <laughs> yeah so i always joke around and i say i'm i've never would have been that guy well i turned into that guy that's what happens yeah. with streaming services and young kids i decided i always forget i have it and i still haven't watched it i still got it I, yeah I, I try to keep i i really try to keep up on that stuff because mm-hmm. you know more than like two weeks i start to feel a little bit shitty about it no yeah. Uh, but it's really it's obviously it's time dependent. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I, I was, I went into this with absolutely no expectations. I didn't even know what the hell it was about until I put the the disc in. Um, and I, I gotta say, this was really impressive. It's pretty good. Uh, it's really well shot. It's really well acted. It's an incredibly tense. Uh, it's got a nice little premise to it. Um, it's basically like Reservoir Dogs with the militia men. Uh, more or less. I mean, yeah. if you wanted to give it the, the kind of elevator pitch uh, to it. Um, yeah, probably not as entertaining dialogue-wise, but it is, that is no, the elevator no, it's not, pitch. It's yeah. Not as, yeah, it's not as sharp quite as uh, as, as uh, Reservoir Dogs in, in the, the dialogue department. But otherwise, uh, I, I would absolutely recommend this to anybody who's into uh, like thrillers or suspense movies or w- whatever label you'd care to slap on them. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I, I like the way... It, it's a little... I like What's the way that? it plays with paranoia and stuff. It works. It yeah, works right. Pretty good, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does that. It does it really, really well. Uh, and and like I said, I mean, the acting across the board is really solid. So, yep. I mean, the the, the, the by the time you get the big reveal at the end, it, it's kind of eh, eh, lets you down a, a hair, but not enough to to say that it's in any way not worthy of uh, mm-hmm. of being seen. I think more people. Well, people should see it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um. I jumped over to the mockumentary, The Making of, and God Spoke, um, 1994. And this is kind of like a spinal tappy sort of uh, movie about the, the making of a movie that goes, uh, making of a movie, well, I should, what, back up. The, the <laughs> making of a making of a movie about the Bible uh, that just goes totally cattywampus. Uh, and, uh, you get to watch the whole thing just kind of unraveling, uh, before your very eyes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was good. Um, you, you shake that spinal tappy, that spinal tappy, that spinal tappy. <laughs> uh, so 
heard you, I heard you say, tap, my, my so. mind went immediately there when I heard you say, it's Spinal Tappy. I'm like, oh, shit, that's Spinal Tappy. <laughs> where's my, where's my, uh, where's my, my cue on that one? Um, but this one here, uh, I, I, I watched this. Uh, yeah, you yeah, tell him, Katie. You can tell him, um, that's right. <laughs> I watched this only because I read a review of it in an old issue of Film Threat that I've been digging through, my old issues of Film Threat. Oh, there we go, yeah. Um, and it just, you know, stuck out of something like, oh, I never caught this one back then, so might as well catch it now. Uh, and it's good. It's, uh, it's not great, but it's, it's good. It's entertaining. It's got a couple of, uh, of decent laughs in there. Um, the one guy, I think his name's Mike Riley. Uh, the one actor, uh, is, does a really good job. Uh, probably he's the standout. Yeah. Michael Riley, um, in this thing and uh you know it's it's just fun it's fun watching you know everything that could possibly you know take a shit on you happening here speaking of atm um and oh yeah (laughs) and it does so there was that and let's see i will finish this cat off with the 1952 movie Ikiru from Mr. Akira Kurosawa. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't <laughs> think that I need to actually say anything uh, about this movie other than that it is easily, easily uh, in Kurosawa's top three. Easily it should be in most people's top ten. Um just in general, it is such an astounding movie, so well made, so uh, emotional, so cynical and yet heartfelt. And uh, there's there's so much going on. And of course, um, Takashi Shimura uh, is just a wonder to behold. Uh, and you really kind of have to um, scratch your head as to why. Well, you don't have to scratch your head as to why, but. It, it, it's still kind of mysterious why uh, a little bit why he isn't more linked with uh, with Kurosawa and that whole thing than Mifune was although Mifune certainly had the more glamorous roles yeah. uh, in the samurai fi- in the samurai pictures which were um, you know obviously a little more uh, audience friendly mm. than something like this about a you know a, a government bureaucrat who's uh, trying to make sense of life and how he's entirely wasted yeah. it. Well, I think, uh, and to, he's got this one last with this one last moment to uh, to make uh, something that has an impact on the world, yeah. which he has not had up until this point. Takashi Shimura is definitely the better actor of the two. Oh, I would agree with that. But he's he's certainly more versatile not, than Mafune. Uh, but Mafune is not as flashy. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Mafune's the, the, like the camera loves Mafune a yeah. bit more. He's like than, Brando. Uh, Shimura. Yeah, Mafune reminds me of like Brando. He's like. Charisma, sex appeal. So, so if star if, uh, if uh, Mafune was Brando, then who would Shimura be in uh, American parlance? Um, hmm, good question. Because Brando's uh, known for his acting too. He's not wasn't just flashy and sexy like me. Yeah, uh, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm to, I don't say this question lightly, mind you. It is tough to make a parallel, but I, I mean, I just, I, I think Mafune captured the imagination of. Americans and Japanese, whereas a Shimura, he never really—I don't think he ever really captured the imagination of Americans for some reason. Uh, Which I, is amazing to me because he's such is. an astounding actor. Yeah, like I think everybody that watches that's it's, that's somewhat adventurous in film watching uh, knows who he is and has seen him in something, even if it's sure. just Godzilla. They've seen him in sure. something. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, 
That's a good question. But I, when I think of Shimura, though, uh, you know, I, God love him. I think he was one of the greatest actors of all time. Sex appeal is not what I think of. <laughs> I don't see. Now you're not talking my language. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Toddy ATM's got his own style. With that fucking, with that, that basset houndy kind of face that he had. Oh, yeah. He grew a great mustache, oh, yeah. too. Yeah, his mustache. Yeah, awesome. right? No. But I don't know, man. There's something. There was something primal about Mafune. Something animalistic. It's, well, it's he a, could it's scratch a beard like it was nobody's yeah. business, too. Yeah, it was unexplainable. And then when, you know, Sonny Sheba came along, they're like, oh, he's the new Mifune. I'm like, ooh, man, right, yeah. Right. he He's definitely the B-grade Mifune. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. God bless him, but yeah, yeah. he sure is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what he is, right? He is Mifune B-type. <laughs> and God bless <laughs> I him. I too. agree. He's awesome, but, you know. Yeah, he is. But like you said, that, that's, that's perfect. Uh, no, Shimura, too, I think his biggest quality was his humanity in anything, right? Yeah. There's sort yeah. of a quiet, dignified humanity that, Maybe doesn't give you. He's the stake to Mafuni's sizzle. Not to say the sizzle isn't. Um, yeah. You know, it isn't. Isn't it's satisfactory? It certainly is. As and, and he, not to say he rings hollow, Mafuni. That is, but yeah, Shimura's humanity and dignity and hard to top in film. Even even across uh, the Pacific, mm. he's he's. I'm, I'm just, fuck. I'm gonna all episode now. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm gonna try to find an American parallel to fucking Takeshi Shimura. That's true. Yeah, yeah, my job here is done. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's somebody we just aren't thinking about it. But you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it maybe maybe my brand and maybe my Brando comparison isn't good for Mafune because no, it is. Oh, too late. It's done now. Yeah, I guess huh? so. It, yeah. You're committed. Would you say Jimmy? No, not Jimmy Stewart. No, I, thought, I was hoping you were gonna say Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, oh yeah, it's not, no, that's a close one. Yeah. There are a lot of Jimmys out there. The uh, <laughs> not for Todd, there ain't. Uh-uh. Todd, I advise you to wear the Jimmy. Uh, There's only one to wear the Jimmy hat. Does Robert Duvall work? No, he doesn't. That's just a bald thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hackman. Yeah. Hackman. Ooh, that's a that's Maybe an interesting Hackman. one. Hoffman. Poitier. Hoffman, I could see. Poitier. Sydney Poitier. Poitier had a bit more um, swagger, a little more swagger. Yeah, a little more Quiet swagger. swagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiet, cool. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I would have to really. What about think like about a Peter that. O'Toole or someone? O'Toole Rod. is another one. He's got a bit more swagger than. Yeah, uh, fuck. He was like hard, a man. mod not, guy. It so. is hard. not Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger's too pump. No. Kind of pump. There's too much <laughs> Rod Steiger. No. Pomposity. That, that there. Mexican yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that famous Mexican actor. That famous Rod Mexican Steiger. Rod Steiger. That's right. <laughs> That that subtle that subtle non overacting uh, actor. <laughs> Look, I, I, Rod Steiger's one of the greatest actors of all time. I'll totally agree with that. But man, when he goes for it, he fucking goes for it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, big time. Don't play. Oh shush! Like, <laughs> Lord, like, like Sadie. Sex is Sadie. Yeah. Fucking goes for it more than she should. I'm gonna go for it if she keeps it up. <laughs> yeah. Yikes! Don't do it on air. <laughs> I've got all no. kinds of turns on. Now. No, as my legal counsel, you advise me not to do it on air. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> that might be used against you. Um, Precisely. All right, so that, that we've we've given ourselves a conundrum for today and trying to figure out. And our uh, listeners, <laughs> listeners of the show, chime in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, James, no, not James Dean. James Dean was definitely I almost sex said appeal. James Mason, but... Yeah. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Well, 
I thought about watching James Mason and Kirk Douglas in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea this weekend. Hello, you, Kirk. You are 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. How do you feel about that? Yes. <laughs> the James Mason accent. I was going to do my impersonation, but you've topped it, so I'm not going to try it. Don't worry. It's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks anyway. So <laughs> Sounds like you're taking a dump. Give me a little primer. <laughs> Will, what have you been watching? Uh, you might want to save some for another episode because I've watched nothing. I'll just be frank and honest. Yeah, Frankly, okay. Well, maybe I'll talk about... Uh one or two that I've watched. Um, so, yeah, I was in the States. Uh, oh, for, that's right. That's right. Uh, for Halloween, right? So, you know, much love to our friends in California and uh, Las Vegas for showing us a good time. Just want to give them a, a tip of the cap, a tip of the toque on air. Mm. Um, you know, Tanner, Kelly, Wes, Ed. Uh, Jimmy and his family. I mean, everyone. Uh, then, really, I wouldn't get got to see them without the show, right? Our show. I'd said to a few of them when we were together, look, and to my family more than anything, uh, we wouldn't be in this room right now if it wasn't for our mutual love of film. So, a really cool thing, um, to be sure. Uh, so, uh, that aside, what have I been watching? I'll tell you what I watched on the plane, and it shows you how behind the times I am. I was pretty excited because I could sit for a few hours, you know, five-hour flight, watch a couple of things. WestJet has a pretty good uh, selection of films. So Matteo Garoni's, what I thought was relatively new, I think it's at least a year old, uh, film Dogman. Have you guys seen this? Yeah. I I haven't seen it, but uh, I've known about it for some time, so it is a little older, yeah. Yeah, so I watched this one, and I was just over the moon. It's a fantastic film. I think Garoni does observation of the absurdity of humans and their lives as well as anyone today i mean it's, it's not a perfect film you know probably be towards the back end of a top 30 um which still is you know worthy film certainly um but as i was watching i just i couldn't he, he loves faces and he's he's and he's always such a a good-looking filmmaker. I couldn't help but wonder what you guys would think of it. I might program it way down the line at some point. It's uh, it's a good one. It's uh, shit gets uh, pretty interesting in that. Quite uh, you know, there's there's a moment in the film where things you get to the, beyond the point of no return, and uh, yeah, you know, I've been uh, I've been wanting to check it out. I just haven't got around to it. So it's a good one. It's uh, it's a good one. The lead in it is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um. He's got a great face, just a fantastic face. Uh, so yeah, uh, watch Dog Man. Uh, haven't watched a ton else. Like I said, because we were on vacation, I was gonna try to watch um, Yorgos Lanthimos' The Favorite. Of course, I fell asleep on the plane on the way oh, home. Ah, such a good movie. I know, I know, but it probably was for the best. Like, I, I want to watch it in an environment where I can. Really appreciate it. So I didn't get around to that one, unfortunately. But uh, I did decide to, with that, that Criterion channel, and I finally got my fucking charter subscriber metal card in the mail. Nice. For the last person alive to get it. Nice. Uh, no, you're not. Come on. <laughs> I haven't got mine. That's typical, man. That's fucking bullshit. That is bullshit. How does I'm the Canadian get it before the American? Yeah, right? <sighs> bullshit. Yeah, it is. Yes. Oh man! Uh, I decided. Speaking of criteria, those motherfuckers at Criterion. Oh man, they're getting such a sassy yeah. letter. Oh man, they are. Um, I decided to watch Diva. 
Jean-Jacques Binet's film. Uh, okay. It's from 81. There's another one on my program for the show. I, I'd seen bits and pieces of this over the years, but I'd never seen the full thing. Uh, fantastic. Have you guys seen it? I have not. I don't know if I have. I, I, I like to think that I have. Is that the Diane Ross film? No. No. I've seen You're that one. Of mahogany? <laughs> no, I'm thinking of mahogany. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, that was Diana Ross. Never yeah, mind. Diana Ross, yeah. <laughs> That's why I was thinking of that. I was thinking, yes, I was. Th- I think that's what I was thinking of. I think it was called. I thought, think for some reason, I thought it was called Diva and not Mahogany. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. I don't think I have seen it. No. Oh, then I'm definitely going to program that sometime this year. It's it's pretty amazing. I'm glad you said something uh, about the Criterion Channel because I just remembered I did watch something. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> there we go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So Diva's rad. It it just looks gorgeous. Um, it's a thriller. It's you know a, a pop art '70s left field thriller. It's it's really good stuff um, by as strong a visual filmmaker as was around at the time. So I'll leave it at that. I'll save some for the sequel, which will be the review. And I'm also gonna stop talking about stuff I've watched because uh, yeah, I got maybe one. <laughs> you tapped out. <laughs> yeah, I got maybe one or two more beyond the films. I'll take a miracle. I got four films in this week for the show. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a, that's a minor miracle. That is a miracle. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I got yeah, I got four films in for the show too, but it took me two weeks to do that. So <laughs> that you did. Well, it I said week. to my, <laughs> I told the family. I said, guys, listen, we're watching these four films. <laughs> yeah. Next week, I don't pick nothing. You guys pick everything. <laughs> yeah. But and it, it helped too that black holes. Kid friendly, very much ish. so. Yeah, ish. Yeah. Uh, Vampires is Carpenter. My kids are fair game for that. Uh, Vigilante was the one I did not watch with the kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I maybe. Well, no, it's a little, a little grimy. Uh, Vigilante is actually one of the least of Lustig's. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but we'll, we can get into that. But I, I would say it was almost one of the ones that uh, you could almost show to the kids. Uh, you know, practically unreservedly, aside from a couple of moments. Yeah. But, yeah. but one moment in particular is pretty nasty. Yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> yes. It that's goes the... full tilt boogie on that one moment. So, so. Yes, that's very true. Um, but yeah, you're my, right. Most yeah. of the other ones are. And then the blob, my kids are big fans of. So it was yeah. like a very, very Smith family mm-hmm. uh, d- double or, I guess, quadruple feature. This mm. week, so but I'll save uh, the last oh. one I watched for the next episode. Yes, which um, could be coming up anywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. we'll definitely be talking about it today. It just might not be a couple of weeks for anybody. Here's it. <laughs> one final note about this week uh, on Halloween. You know what I got from a lovely house in Burbank, and I thought of you, Todd. <laughs> I give up. The Laffy Taffy. <laughs> in fact, I love that so much that I took it from my kids. Discreetly put it in my jean jacket pocket, <laughs> and there it remains. Yes, until you wash it, and it becomes taffy, yeah. taffy all over everything. Yeah, they're just sucking everywhere. You yeah. taffy wash them because it'll be it'll be taffy, taffy. It won't be laffy. I can tell you that. If you no, there won't be any laffy going on if I do that. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Criterion Channel. So I did watch something as well. I I kind of had a feeling I was going to end up uh, selecting uh, some some blob action for the next week's show. So I went back and watched the original blob because it was on there. And I was like, well, I want to watch that. And then I, I watched it. And then I watched, so I watched the blob from 19, whatever it was, 56, 58. 58. Uh, I watched it three times. 
I watched it. Uh, times. Yeah, yeah. So okay. here's here's what happened. I watched it originally, and then there's two commentary tracks on there. Uh, so I watched two commentary tracks on it. I had never seen the commentary tracks from the original release a long time ago, so it was kind of fun to listen to, you know, because you know they didn't. Ex- there wasn't really big expectations for that movie, and it kind of turned into a thing. And Steve McQueen for a lot of years kind of poo pooed it, and uh, uh, there was some nice little tidbits on there where the director said he'd run into Steve McQueen occasionally toward the end of his life, and He'd say, you know, he'd always apologize and say, look, you know, I put that movie down and stuff. He goes, but if I, had made it, I wouldn't have made that movie, I wouldn't have had a career. So True. Uh, in some ways. So, you know, it, it it's interesting that, you know, publicly he would kind of have some disdain for it. But privately he was kind of like, you know, look, man, sorry, I'm, I'm talking shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. So it was a nice moment because a lot of the things I hear about Steve McQueen behind the scenes, you know, he wasn't always the nicest guy. So. Um, especially to females. Ooh, yikes! And Man, he could those cut ba- a rug, though. Yeah, there were some bad stories there. Uh, he is definitely not part of the Me Too movement. Let me put it that way. Um, yeah. Well, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, so <laughs> yeah, that's right. He clearly, is. Yeah. clearly, he deserves his place. Played by a redhead, which is very odd. But the, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, to each their own. He did kind of look like Steve McQueen a little bit, though. Once once I bought bit. into it, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, he could be McQueenish. Uh, anyway. Uh, I watched that, but I, like I said, I watched it three times, and uh, you know, I, that's what I love that you know those commentary tracks are out there and stuff because yes. you know it's kind of fun to listen to them, and uh, I've always been a big <laughs> fan of them, and I, I don't know why. Usually, I'll listen to one. I don't know why I went back and watched another one. I, that's very rare for me to watch a movie over and over and over again. Uh, but it just you know, I wanted to get them in. I'd been wanting to watch those commentary tracks for a long time, and I just got to it. So. There we go. And the only other thing I watched, which is a bit of a hot topic right now, so I guess I want to bring it up, is uh, the uh, the Mandalorian TV show. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, the, I watched the first two of those. Yeah, that, those, that Star Wars television uh, that's on the Disney streaming service. Um, uh, Disney streaming is it's it's pretty it's pretty nice. The stuff that's on there, I, I told Will and Todd behind the scenes. You know, a lot of people are kind of just so pumped about these Marvel films and these Pixar films and these Disney films on there, but man. I gotta say, and I'm about, I mean Disney classic films. I'm talking. I mean, you know, if you want to go back and look at, you know, the computer wore tennis shoes or, yep. you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, the Swiss Family Robinson stuff. I mean, that's the stuff I was super pumped to see on there. I was super happy yeah, to yeah, see yeah. all that stuff on there. And, Although I will say this about that: uh, until they get the old 1963 uh, Marvel cartoons on there, I will never be happy. <laughs> yes, uh, and you yeah. know the ones that I'm talking about. I the do ones know that those, were just yes. like a a, a cut out of like. <laughs> They were basically a the frame com- of a comic book that they just moved across the screen <laughs> yeah. with the little sound effect on it. Did those the, things didn't they animate the mouth? I will, I'm going to put my money where my, my mouth is. Those are for Ooh. my for my for my uh, my dollar. Uh, <laughs> those are the most entertaining cartoons that they have ever made out of Marvel uh, properties. Period. Yeah. They uh, is that the ones where they just animate the mouth, right? They just yeah. move the mouth. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those. I'll tell you. Yeah, all the animate the animation is crude as fuck, yeah. but they are so much oh. fun. <laughs> hey, speak of speaking of crude as fucking animated at the mouth. That would be back crazy. to Utah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Funny. You really <laughs> had I not it. mentioned that I'm I'm still kind of a little uh yeah, under you, the weather as you, we uh, say. You uh. <laughs> You really, you really had some adventures last night. T. I, I don't know about adventures, but know. I had a couple something. Yeah. ATM indeed. Adventures and babies. If only, <laughs> if only there was ATM last night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me and Tom, me and Will would decide. I might be talking through a filter of uh, pink eye yeah. this Ooh, morning. Yeah, pink yes. eye and, and the smell. Brown of sc- eye. I'll give you pink eye. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> pink eye and a bit of the smell of scope. 
<laughs> Wash that mouth out there, baby. We got clinical burn. Dirty. <laughs> might want to get something between my. If you're going to ATM, you might want to go with Listerine. Uh, uh, I do Listerine all the time, buddy. <laughs> that cinnamon fucking total care six way to kill germ thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I watched The Mandalorian, and you know it, it's pretty good. Uh, I think uh, some people are way too excited about it. Uh, well, I mean, crazy. it's Star Wars, so yeah, yeah. I mean, some people are going super bananas for uh, what is essentially. Uh, yeah, decent television. It's not. Yeah. It's nothing to you know. Nothing to shake. It's okay, a it's yet. a space western. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the first episode, uh, certainly the opening, uh, I was all on board. And then as it kind of yeah. goes along in that first episode, I'm like, okay, well, uh, you know, there, there's a whole lot of nostalgia here and a whole lot oh, yeah. of playing to the fans. And I think if you're into that, I think you're gonna love the Mandalorian. Yeah. But I think if you're like that- me and you want it to be its kind of own thing. Uh, I think the 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 callbacks to things that you know you remember, uh, just uh, that stuff. Just I try so hard just not to pay attention to that yeah. shit anymore because it's, I've been so turned off by Star Wars ever since uh, what the Phantom Menace came out. Yes. That I, I just for twenty years, twenty plus years. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, The Force Awakens was okay, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, I, I try to turn myself off to that and just kind of try to, to soak it in if something that's trying to be something new comes out. And I think this is trying to, to be something new, although it's, you know, it's like everything else where Disney has kind of realized that in order for them to have something that's very successful in one of their um, one of their properties, their more, you know, like their Marvel stuff or that, uh, they tend to want to blend um, genres so that they can say that you know it's not just a Star Wars movie. It's like a, it's like a, it's Lone Wolf and Cub in space. It or it's you know it's um, which it it's is Captain right? America in yeah. uh, the parallax view or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, 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 and listen, I I don't begrudge them that because I think that you know if they do something like that and it works, which like something like the Winter Soldier works in spades for me. Um, so so this kind of thing i'm I'm willing to give it a little bit of leeway uh and so far the first two episodes i've been i've been pretty entertained yeah, no. entertained enough to uh to, to want to go along with it and yeah, certainly Nick Nolte, uh and you know herzog don't hurt anything that's right yeah those two things so, are that's those are those moments of uh you know for those who didn't know that that's in there those are those moments of what the fuckery where you're like you know wow okay mm. cool Mm-hmm. And of course, this is where the famous quote from Werner Herzog comes from: that he had never seen the Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you know. I have never seen any of the movies. <laughs> yes, he's, <laughs> and he's very. They're Herz- like cows screaming in the forest of <laughs> oblivion. There's very Herzogian stories already from the set of this uh, show, <laughs> or one where he's a uh, you know there's a puppet he's working with, and they decide to take the puppet out of the scene to shoot a close up for him, and he's like, "No, no, you guys believe in your puppet." <laughs> <laughs> and these things, I love that man. <laughs> he is He's he great. is he is so much uh you know a unique individual. So but uh he is a lot of fun and Anolti's fun uh the it, I guess for me the only and Pedro f- Pascal is I think he's really good he's, in the uh I don't is, know if he's actually in the suit but uh, yeah no he is in the, the suit. Voice, uh, yeah, the he, yeah, he is in the suit and uh pretty brave of him in a way to kind of do this show because he is not, you know, two episodes in and I know Mandalorians don't take their helmets off. Right, but uh, he really—he literally is not taking his helmet off uh, nope. to, to go back to Toddy ATM. 
He's uh, <laughs> I don't take that helmet. He's off. keeping that helmet snug. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. I hope so. Uh, uh, I will say that I enjoy some of it. Some of it's a little too cutesy for me. Some of it's a little the comedy bits. I'm not a fan of. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to gloss those over because I just take that as being writ in anything pop culture yeah, today. Yeah, uh, you know, being a little too twee or what have you. It's a little too twee for me. So yeah, and, and yeah. like I said, the nostalgia bits are too much for me. It just that, that that's too much for me. I don't need uh, some of these callbacks and some of those things. I, I admit I could look past them, but I just feel like they're kind of. It feels like John Favreau, who wrote the show and kind of created the show. It feels like uh, there's moments where it's like this is what I loved about Star Wars, and this is what I'm kind of going back to. There's there's some good stuff in there, but most of it, I, I just I don't know. But I, I have enjoyed the kind of lone wolf and cub aspect of it, and and some of the other uh, little interesting tidbits. And uh, you know, I'm on for the nine episodes that it's uh, yeah, created yeah. for. I'm on. I'm in. Uh, it's certainly more interesting than the films have been. And uh, and I'm, I'm noticing some uh, some decent practical uh, effects work in there. Yeah, nice makeup. Uh, work. That's that's really working for me. So yeah, there's some good makeups in there and. Or at least I should say a nice hey, blending. Look, of any show that has and CG, so yeah, any show that has Werner Herzog, Nick Nolte, um, and we listen Carl Weathers. Yeah, we should be damned yeah, for not yeah. mentioning that Carl Paul. Weathers is in episode one. Yeah, and Takia Watiti. Yeah, Watiti. Taika Watiti. Yeah, Watiti, as we say in Kentucky. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, why titty, bro? <laughs> why titty, yeah, bro? Not? Why not titty? Hey, blood, we'll pause some titty. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> famous ice pirates line that'll never die. The uh, yeah, the, as IG eighty eight, which you know, if, of all the fan service moments that I like the most, it was the IG eighty eight thing. Because cool. uh, in in Star Wars lore, IG eighty eight just kind of like a lot of the bounty hunters just kind of stands around in the background because he's a droid yeah, yeah. and he was a practical effect and he couldn't really move. <laughs> But in this, you get to kind of see what IG-88 could do as a bounty hunting droid. And it made him this kind of interesting killing machine, which was pretty awesome. And he was that was actually one of my favorite moments of the whole thing, was that uh, that raid with him and IG-88. So, yeah, uh, that yeah. Was good well, stuff. one of the biggest letdowns for me was just seeing the, uh, the, big, uh, the big reveal at the end of the first episode. But after that, I was just kind of like, once I you know, got past that kind of disappointment, I was like, all right, I'll go along with it. So this is set. Is this set before the films? Or uh, don't ask me. I have no I, idea. I only read this. I certainly would never have known this, even if my life depended on it. It's it takes place, I think, right after Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. So, right. so it's, it's it's interesting what happens at the end of the first one and what most of the second one's about. I don't understand where this uh, one character that we're introduced to at the end of the of the first episode. I don't understand where we're going with that, but we'll see. No idea. No idea. Anyway, uh, but, but I kind of like that. You know, it's it's thrown a little bit in there because you know you're it. obviously you know enough about what that, comes after all of this that, shit. That, yeah, that you species, know, right? You know enough. You're kind of scratching. You're kind of scratching your head, like, well, okay, I'm willing to you know see how this plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe it'll give me something a little bit different. Maybe it'll give me a little bit of a twist on something that uh, you know is so ingrained in uh, in my self conscious or not self conscious. Uh, my uh, uh, fuck it. I can't talk yeah. this morning. So well, I mean, I'm like I said, it, it, worst case scenario, I'm on board. I'm on board, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, is it as good as the new yeah. Watchmen show? No, it's not that good. No, but it's no. Well, Gene Smart is killing it on that show. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, it's uh, it is solid enough. I'll say that. All right, 
We're going to cut this off so we can get into these films because if not, we're not going to be able to get two episodes done. Yeah, right. We're going to come no. back and talk about the black hole, a.k.a. the quivering rim uh, yeah. from Walt Disney uh, Company. Uh, <laughs> at least one of those titles is. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back right after this. I thought you were playing the uh, the theme to uh, Kingdom of the Spiders again. <laughs> yeah, that uh, well, that song, that song, Long Black Veil, that song's been around forever. I think it was. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was originally recorded by Lefty Frizzell, maybe. Well, I know that uh, I know that Mike Ness did a version of it a, a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he it was really, a really good one too. Yeah, he really whisper sings the shit out of that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's Mike Ness in yeah. general. So he's like, oh, oh dark night. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I feel like I'm being seduced. Uh, yeah, you are. For those who don't know, just check out that Mike Ness version. But that—that's my favorite <laughs> that's version. That—that that kind of warbly. Uh, I think it's Rick Danko from uh, the, which is <laughs> that's an unfortunate last name. But I, in a way, I kind of wish that was my last name. <laughs> Call me Danko, thereby. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into it here. The uh, the black hole. Uh, 1979. It was a magical year. Glorious yep. year. There we go. I was six. <laughs> I was six, and uh, Will was well. He was, was being born, born in November. Yeah, yeah. he was. Uh, Will was a couple months old. He was baby. There. Yeah. <laughs> he was just a baby. Uh, this is uh, directed by Gary Nelson. Uh, the Disney kind of infamous Disney film. Great poster. I always have loved the poster. It's a uh, a lot of pop culture stuff from this one. I remember a lot growing up. You know, I was right at that age where that kind of stuff really hit me. There was action figures and some play sets. I, I remember that stuff quite vividly. Maybe some plastic models I put together. I don't know. That was back in the day when you could buy like the toys and stuff, and you kind of felt like you saw the movie, even if you didn't see the movie. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Basic plot synopsis. A research vessel finds a missing ship commanded by a mysterious scientist on the edge of a black hole. Um, so... Uh, this, uh, yeah, uh, we now we picked this because Robert Forster's in it. Now at this point, Robert Forster's, uh, kind of an up and comer <laughs> for lack of a better word. And he, uh, you know, he's basically one of the stars of this film. I mean, he's in here with some heavyweights, right? Uh, Maximilian show, Anthony Perkins, Ernest Borgnine. I mean, he's in here with some big name folks. So, um, you know, he's kind of playing the kind of stoic captain. And I'd forgotten that he was the captain. I always seem to remember that he was the lieutenant, but it's Joseph Bottoms who's the lieutenant. So, 
uh, it's interesting to see him in this kind of starring role because just a couple of years later, he's starring in a movie too, but it's an exploitation film. So yes, yep, alligator. Yeah, an alligator and stuff. So how quickly? Um, and Forster's career is a lot like that. And it was very mercurial in a lot of ways because he'd have great moments and then he'd have, you know, moments where he's doing other types of stuff that maybe most wouldn't consider great. I think he was good in everything he ever did. I yes. agree. But sometimes the films weren't uh, that no. great. So, but I think oh, he yeah. just like, I think like a lot of actors, I mean, I think he comes from a generation where he just wanted to work. Yep. And uh, Absolutely. so he just did whatever now. Well, that's kind of one of his, his defining traits is yeah. that he always, he's like, he was like uh, uh, Peter Cushing in a lot of ways. Yeah. He always had, you know, no matter how horrible uh, the material was that he was in, he always brought his A game to yeah. it. He always gave it his, uh, yeah. his 100% attention. I would say you, he, you always, you always believed uh, what he was doing, uh, even if the rest of the movie, you know, was falling apart around him. Yeah. I would say he wasn't as Teflon as Borgnine is. Borgnine is no, yeah, no, but Borgnine's Borgnine's a little bit different though yeah. too. Well, I mean, Borgnine he is didn't do some of the sleazy bottom of the barrel stuff that Forrester did either. No, no, he didn't. It was a different era when he was cashing checks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and Borgnine just some. It's he's one of those kind of character <laughs> actors who always, you know, he would pop up in something, and it would never be too sleazy. Maybe that was a personal belief or what. I'm actually surprised he didn't do more sleazy-esque type stuff. I guess the sleaziest stuff he did would probably be the Peckinpah stuff, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as... Different generation. Yeah, different generation of sleaze. Mm. Right. Lustig's more inspired by that as opposed to Peckinpah's kind of the pioneer of some of that stuff. But anyway, um, I was thinking about a puffy biscuit. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> anyway, uh, who wants to take a lead on this thing? Who wants to talk some of uh, Gary Nelson's cinematic choices on The Black Hole from 79? Uh, since I picked it, I will pass it off to one of you guys. So, well, since Sammy's looking for people to start it off, I'll start it off. Yeah, there we go. Uh, okay, so uh, I had not seen this film before. Oh, really? Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, cool. this was one. It's funny. I think you had said Sammy in the intro to this film. It was pretty commonplace in pop culture, and you could have almost felt like you've seen it. Or, you know, as we as film fans, we tend to cobble things together through reviews and um, memorabilia and conversations and so forth. Sure. That we can kind of get a a pretty good idea of what the film is. Um, This one was obviously very early in my life. um, (laughs) So it wasn't like I was, you know, on the school ground and kids were talking about it, but. I remember having a plastic bowl with Vincent in it, like a cereal bowl. Yeah, there you go. enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Fucking missed opportunity, man. I should have went and dug through my mom's cupboards, and she still has that Vincent bowl. Nice. Um, nice. So I should have I should ate my cereal out of the Vincent bowl this morning. Yeah, I had some. Uh, uh, we had some black hole. We had some black hole plastic plates, <clears throat> and we oh, had. Yeah. Uh, I, I think some glasses as well with black hole stuff on it. And I remember. Uh, I remember thinking to myself, I really, I need to go see this movie. I remember thinking that a lot. And it might have been the first time I remember, uh, you know, obviously Star Wars and Alien and a few other things had toy tie-ins. But this might have been the one that first hit me as the most prevalent. Like the one that I guess where the toys affected me before the film did. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah I, I don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater when it came out. Um, oh, but wow. I definitely, I definitely had, I definitely had the... Uh, the toys for it, like uh, Maximilian and uh, the Roddy McDowell and Slim Pickens robots and all of that. No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Was the I would have loved. I'd love to have a Maximilian shelf figure. <laughs> it's amazing. it's not quite as it's not quite as manic as you might uh, might think oh, it is. Might hope that's it, too. Uh, although you can make it act that way. Yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, yeah, the the Borgnine is a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, he he, uh, he he gets lost a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. This and I gotta say too, fun piece of GGTMC trivia is this not our first Disney film on the show? Uh, uh you know it might be. Man, I'd have to I really can't look. Think of I, anything, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah. Have you guys ever done uh, something Wicked This Way comes or anything? No. Like? No. no. Or, no. or what's the other one? Witch I, Mountain or whatever. I mean, I guess if you want to get technical, it might be with the actual Disney logo. I mean, we might have done some Touchstone Picture stuff or maybe. Yeah, yeah but that's yeah. kind of direct that's, Disney. Yeah, yeah. But direct, yeah. direct, you know, something that actually is called Disney's Black Hole. Disney's the Black Hole. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this might be the first thing we've ever done. It says Disney at the very beginning, yeah. So we have some um, some people that would poo-poo the idea of us doing a, a, a Disney film, but of course it's our show, and wow. we'll do it how we see fit. Yeah. And this I think is, this is certainly is not a, the not the most Disney film ever made by Disney. Well, so it's it's not at all. Yeah, uh, it's, it's them. It's, it's them trying to branch out, right? And they're trying to this precisely. is Disney trying to change in some ways and. <clears throat> Well, trying to chase them Star Wars bucks. Yeah, chasing sure. them Star Wars bucks. Yeah, that's uh, this was the time to do it. Star Wars was what seventy seven. Yeah, seventy seven. Yeah. So that's one of the big things when I first watched this. I watched with my kids. Now I made the mistake of putting this on very late at night. Not very late, but I think we had already done vampires. So we went from vampires to this. Ooh, that's a change up. That's a shift in gears, right? So <laughs> I had to do this over two days. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you know. Braden's usually pretty resilient when it comes to film. He'll William will cut out early, man. He's 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 taking his ball and going home. Whereas Braden will stick around and I'll, I'll try to drop some some trivia on him and some kind of fun facts about the film or the actors. But we both conked out, and I had to get back to this one. Um, and yeah, it, it's interesting as far as Disney's catalog. I think it's fascinating to look at. Um, some of the the boardroom meetings uh, or the poolside meetings that would have led to this film being made. I don't believe, I think this was an original script, right? I do believe. So, I mean, really what you have is you have Disney chasing the space opera, you know, sci-fi money. um, And you also have them chasing the disaster money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, it's a disaster film in space. You kind of get to, it's almost like the like a hip like a breakdancing movie in a way where it's it's a slash save the rec center. They're kind of getting a two for one deal, um, and then you got a pretty great cast: Forrester, who yeah, is still coming into his own. You get Shell, who's you know, who's uh, quite established. Perkins, of course. It's uh, difficult. It's difficult to uh, to find fault with this cast. I mean, the only I one agree. who really who really um, who really doesn't stand out. Is bottoms, and that's only because well, he's got yeah. to play. He's got a. He, he's basically a, a a superfluous character to uh, to Forrester's captain. Precisely. I mean, other than that, I, everybody else in the film, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, pretty much brings as much of their A game as they possibly can to this thing. Well, uh, they put their whole they put their whole heart into it, and I think. Uh, and think, you actually you actually get some 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 kind of interesting uh, choices uh, that go on here. Not not only. Um, Acting wise, but uh, character wise, mm-hmm. no, like you in, do in their writing. So, uh, well, I'll tell you, if there's a weakness to this film, there's a couple. Not to poop sure, too much. Sure, the script to me, I'll tell you, the script to me was 
so rigid and so wooden. It, it has some really great ideas. But I feel like the way the characters interact at times and just the script itself, even to the point where I can't remember, I think it was William said to me, I'll tell you, Dad, because he's heard me say about you can't blame the eye. He said this to me and he's heard me say this. I goes, I'll tell you, Dad, you can't blame the actress for this one. It's on the director and the script. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? it's kind of so. this kind of is is like is like if uh, if they 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 wrote 2001. But um, they tried to get – oh, shit. I had a great analogy for that. Damn it. I lost it. I, I, but I pick up what you're putting down because it does but They, they feel... wanted it to be 2001 in, in the script, but then the uh, – but it, as if it was written by – like forbi- like if it was written like Forbidden Planet. Yeah, that's what it – Does that make sense? It reminds me yeah. most. So it's, like, it's got the ideas Planet. of 2001 but written like Forbidden Planet. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's kind of stuck in that old school sort of mold, but – it's got some pretty ambitious ideas going on oh, there. Oh, yes. I yeah. think in more energetic hands. Yes, this could have yes. Been, fuck, this could have been some. I mean, again, I'm not saying this is dog shit, so let's not even yeah, sure. consider that I am. But I think one of the biggest things I take away from this, not to play my hand too soon, is a little bit of a missed opportunity. Because I stood back, I looked at the cast, I thought, how does this have three of my favorites in a way? I mean, I love Forrester, I love Borgnine. Perkins is always a treat because you always wonder what's going on beneath the surface with him. Um, the only one who really brings a lot of energy to their role is Shell. Oh yeah, mm. I think I think everyone else is almost they like you said they do the best with the material, but they feel penned in by direction and script. Whereas Shell can really ham it up and he's wide eyed and he's he gives a film a nice jolt of energy as far as the performances go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, some of that I agree with William, uh, with uh, your son, because Gary Nelson. I mean, he. I guess he's mostly known for he did a lot of TV, but he did Freaky, Freaky Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah. And that movie's uh, it's got some energy, uh, so I can see why they gave him this. But he nothing in his filmography says, "Hey, Gary, we're going to give you a big sci-fi, <laughs> a <film."> complex <laughs> philosophical uh, sci-fi film. Yeah. It just nothing really. I don't think he was prepared for that. And he was in over his head, I think. Yeah. And that's what it feels and like. It feels that way. Yeah, it totally does. And I think not to, to, uh, insult him here. I mean, I'm sure if I was directing it, I mean, it would be a complete mess, but <laughs> I think you're dealing with something very ambitious here. And if you want to chase, uh, the money, the, the, the space money and, and all that stuff. And you're going to make something that, like I said, asks a lot of really fascinating questions and sets the table in a really interesting way. I don't think you can be as penned in and generic as this film can be at times. And also being Disney, the thing that I was really surprised with is this film at times, and again, I think partially due to the script and the performances being reined in, feels 10 years older than it is. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't feel to me like 79. Yeah, This feels like 69 to me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah, um, and I had said but that, that, was, that was kind of the Disney thing, though. Yeah, right? yeah, they're, of course. Very, of course. very uh, safe in a lot of ways. Yes. Even though they would do stuff like this, which is, I mean, let's face it, this was not a safe bet to make. No, and kudos um, to them for sure. Exactly. So I, I give them the credit for it, but at the same time, yeah, you got to uh, deliver. They're also kind of you know you know tugging on the reins there, as it were. So tugging on something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Ernest Borgnine, yeah. you know. 
I mean, he was a big tugger. Daily, he was yeah. a daily, uh, yeah, daily yeah. double. Yeah. For those who, <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, I'm proud he, of it. Yeah, for those who yeah. don't know, when he was in his nineties, he gave an interview and he said that one of the one of the uh, the tricks to always remaining young is masturbation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he died not too long Which is, uh, you know, something that you maybe don't want to think about. <laughs> I uh, come on, no. Hey, hey I'm proud that's, of him. You know, I mean, I hope when I'm, not, I hope if I make it to ninety, I hope I still have that much interest in myself. <laughs> I hope I can still make that thing work at ninety. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. that's right, man. Very you know, wood. Little borgie. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but again, I don't want to bemoan uh, the lack of certain things in this because I, it it. It is still there is still a lot of quality here. I, do, I just think for me, the missed opportunity of um, what this could have been. But then again, it couldn't have been that under the Star Wars banner. I don't think right. Like they have to tick a lot of boxes. It's got to be space film. It's got to be disaster film. It's got to be family friendly. Yeah. It's got to have enough kind of similar nods to specific space films that it's going to lure in the audiences in the um, the uh, promotional material too. Right. 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 I think the the problem is is this is unlike um, Star Wars, which is a western. I think this is more of a forbidden planet, like we said, yes. kind mm-hmm. of a uh, uh, a philosophy piece on you yeah, know, humanity. And, and and there and what Disney tried to do was, like we said, ca- try to capture those Star Wars bucks. And this is the total opposite of what Star Wars is. Our Star Wars right. is, yep. is yeah, entertainment. Isn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no propulsion. That's right. The hyperdrive was down on this. The hyperdrive was down. And, <laughs> now, I've I've kind of pissed and moaned over this a little bit, but I do want to say that to me, the set design, even though in spots, if, it's a weird one, but. I think the the costumes, the set design is fantastic. Oh yeah, um, really fantastic. Like I love. Uh, Vincent is obviously trying to cater to a certain market, right? Vincent and uh, what's the other Bob. one's name? Bob. Yeah, they're obviously catering to a certain market. Um, but as far as all the robots on uh, on Shell's ship, um, they look fantastic. Mm-hmm. They look oh, yeah. absolutely yeah, fantastic. Maximil- Maximilian is a fantastic design. As Yo, are the little, their little uh, the little stormtroopery guys that they, they got are, going on. Yeah, and that sort of that faceless thing it, it, it yeah. really works really well for me, and I think it's fantastic. And like, you know, there's and even just some of the interiors look. Not some of them look you know overly bland, but some of them, the scope of them, and the design is very impressive. So I mean, that to me is is definitely a strength. Um, this one opened really cold though. It's funny how this one just jumps into it right away, and it almost feels like it's. You're 30 minutes into the film when it starts. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's Man. a it's a long docking sequence. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Speaking of docking. you ain't kidding. <laughs> yeah. It takes a long time to dock, unlike Todd. To <laughs> yeah, I fucking get in there. Right. You know what's great? What's that, Sammy? No, I was just saying, Todd docks a lot quicker than this thing does. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no doubt, man. A hey, uh, it's funny watching vampires and this back to back does did give me the opportunity to see the parallels between Baldwin face and Vincent face when his eyes start to spin. <laughs> Man, that was amazing. <laughs> and you know what else is kind of a, a neat thing? And I don't know how it would work. And I remember, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson famously said about this one, it's the least scientifically accurate or the stupidest scientific film, sci-fi film of all time in that. Wow. 
I mean, that's but, not but, but 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 listen, you yeah, you got to give a lot of creative license to things. But an interesting thing was the ESP connection between. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that. Well, was here's here's the thing. I mean, I mean, this this certainly isn't hard science fiction, but uh, you know, it, it, it does have Slash. elements. <laughs> yeah. Speak <laughs> speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, the Borgie else there at Borg Nine in his little jumpsuit. Uh, it his, does have. Yeah, his, it, uh, it does have the the costume Borgnine wears is the space is the sci-fi equivalent of substitute teacher costume. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All he needs is a fucking pipe, and he's in. That's right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, this certainly is. You know, they they talk about hard science fiction and you know soft and all that. Uh, and again, speak for yourself. Again, with the snickering. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, this satisfies my hunger, man. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, this does have elements touching on actual science. Yeah, uh, and then it just you know kind of smashes it together with Star Wars. So uh, it, for me, um, I think that it's an odd, but you know, actually very entertaining combination of space opera and, uh, funny enough, cosmic horror. Um, well, you know. Yeah, actually, you bring up a great point. I'll let you finish before I jump on this. No, one. no, that's all. That's all I, I really wanted to say right this this instant. But no, I, I couldn't quite connect the dots in a way beyond how it made me feel. But mm-hmm. it's weird how, in a way, this really made me feel like the the like the family friendly seventies version of Event Horizon. And I, I can't exactly. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I couldn't quite say, well, because, you know, exhibit A, exhibit B, but it just, that's how it made me feel, and it was reminiscent to me. So it's funny looking at this film, I think I enjoy it more in my analysis and when I step back and look at it than I do at sort of first blush, mm-hmm. right? I think it's when you get, you have to be in the right frame of mind because it is talk, you can be a little bit slower, but there's enough philosophically and otherwise going on that. Uh, will reward the viewer, right? Yeah, and I think that, that that's really the appeal to me. I mean, this thing has never worked 100%. No. Um, and there's a variety of reasons why. But at the same time, for, for my money, I've always had a, a, a big soft spot for this thing. Oh, yeah. Um, just because, you know, maybe it's because of when it, it hit me. Maybe it's because of... The production, uh, I I don't know, but I, I I've maybe maybe it is because of the you know that that sort of uh, uh, that sort of uh, pseudo masturbatory um, philosophical sort of bullshit that it throws out at you that I love. Oh no, I do too. Um, I really love that stuff. But I mean, I I I tend to I you know I I and when I watch this thing again, I was a little bit uh, reticent to to get back into it, even though I was the one who picked it. But uh, you know, I still was like okay uh you know let's get in here and and i wound up really enjoying myself uh throughout uh you know with a couple of uh you know a little <clears> bit <throat> of saggy spots here and there kind of like er, the middle right yeah much like uh, Borgie, yeah yeah like his uh, well, his sack so um, i think it's interesting you say that because i think it works better so that's that might be the key to why it failed i think it works better as an adult sci-fi film Yes. Well, it, it, the reason that it failed, but it's yeah, betwixt exactly. In between, that's the problem. It, 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 it wanted to be, it wanted to be all things to all people. Yes, uh, and and it it didn't do that. So it's some they, things to some people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is fine. Hey, 
we're all about this show is all about some things to some people but but i'm saying yeah, that's really. why that's why i think it, it failed as much as it did because you know back in the day i mean like i said i had the toys i had the the book and tape thing i had yeah, so did I, know, actually, all kinds I had of that shit too, the, the little the 45 right yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Had that, I had that as well so that we all have that in common amazing <laughs> amazing yeah and it was it was just weird and then when you throw in that that odd fucking ending that it's got where it kind of oh, wants man. to go 2000 it kind of wants to go full tilt 2001 oh, very much and then just kind of and then just kind of yeah. leave its uh leave its characters sort of hanging um you know it's really uh, okay so yeah when you get to the climax right it, it's big and thrilling right it, it, it looks fantastic right <laughs> um Ooh, and, yeah. and, and this is uh, this is where it becomes <laughs> that's where it becomes much more of an adventure uh movie um, I mean, even though uh, the meteor shower is, you know, it's contrived as hell, right? I mean, it's just sure. thrown in so that they could have meteors attacking the ship and blowing shit apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it, it still has it has no problems playing fast and really loose with how black holes actually work. Yeah, um, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, so, I I I think that had it been more of that kind of star Warsy stuff. I don't think that I would, I don't think that this would work for me uh, as much as it does. Because, because you know, I, I like, I like that it's dark. I like the, the quasi philosophical stuff. That's, that's the shit that, that draws me to it. That, that really bizarro sort of what the living hell is happening here, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of stuff that, you know, that you just, you, you weren't going to see in a star Wars or pretty much, you know, any other sort of, you know, quote unquote, kitty fair, uh, especially in 1979, so that's well, that's the thing that that's that's where that's what draws me. If I want Star Wars, I'll watch Star Wars. Well, exactly, but I mean, obviously, this was meant to appeal to that, but it was it was nothing like Star Wars. Aside from, aside from aside from that <clears throat> big the big climactic ending when you know you're actually getting shit blowing up and you know you get the little standoff with the lasers and all that other stuff. Oh, there's a whole lot of laser going on. Oh, yeah. whole lot of laser going on. There are lasers for dasers, man. I mean, they're just coming <laughs> at us fast and furious in this one. Mm. It's uh, Which is funny. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, but they ain't living life a quarter mile at a time. They sure ain't. They should only maybe Borgie. It's, but, he is. He is a quarter know. inch at a time. Quarter inch, yeah. Bor- Borgie don't play, man, when shit hits the fan. <laughs> um, also, speaking of Borgie and, and a midsection, we talked about a, a saggy midsection. Borgie's is not saggy in this because he wears a leather fucking cummerbund. Oh, yeah. <laughs> incredible, man. Yeah, sweet. Oh, incredible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's funny, to, like you said, just I'm going to jump off here in a sec. But I think to look at this one, I think you, you, you said it nicely, Todd. It's um, cosmic horror. It, when we dissect this one and break it down... Um, I like a lot of things that are going on. I think that with all the material, I, I think we could have even gotten by with the script. I think it does come down to direction more than anything. And I think I do like a lot of the elements. The cast is obviously fine despite being penned in, but with a little more of an energetic direction, maybe a little more flair, um, you really would have had something uh, on your hands. But no, it's it's definitely a fascinating film. I'm glad I finally saw it because, I mean... Fuck! Here we are. It's one of those ones that you know you you could sit there and you could you can enjoy it for for just the surface elements in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, although that that inevitably is going to kind of let you down uh, because it doesn't it doesn't play like you would expect it to. Uh, but if you if you just sit there and you just kind of like this is one of those movies that's 
you, you kind of have to just let yourself kind of muse on what's going on in it while like you're watching it. And then you're like, no, yeah, well, I wouldn't go that far. Maybe like a Boone's farm. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. It, it kind of lets you it kind of lets you just kind of, you know, uh, uh, what's the expression I want to use? Uh, like trip the light fantastic or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the with this thing and just kind of you know allow yourself to to be a little bit stupid and goofy and like this is almost like the this is almost like the film version of uh, of when you were nineteen and drunk and and saying shit like you know oh did you know that D O G spelled backwards is G O D that kind of thing okay so sure. great but but that's what that's the kind of the kind of uh, hole that it fills uh, and I think it does it as well as it possibly can and you know yeah. I, I I still give Disney a lot of credit for making shit like this at all. Well, uh, even though it doesn't, risk. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, zone and way outside. The even room. though, even way though I'm sure, outside. I'm sure when they were having meetings about this thing in the beginning, they were like, "Oh my god, we're going to rake it up on this one." Oh, no, you're not. Uh, but you know, I'm willing to bet you. I'm going to look. Gary Nelson did uh, did not direct anything else for Disney after this. Uh, probably not. He did the. Uh, he did the. Well, Gary... How many? How many directors? How many Disney directors can you actually name, though, aside yeah. from Walt Disney? Yeah, he did. True. The... It's more about the. the yeah. Go ahead, Sam. He did the Gary Coleman uh, Jimmy the Kid film, uh, but I don't think uh, that was. A, I don't think that was a Disney movie. I think that was. No, no, I don't think that was. But yeah, I don't think he worked for. I don't know if he worked for Disney anymore <clears> after this. I mean, the movie was a hit. It cost twenty million, which is a lot of money in '79. And uh, it made thirty five million, so I mean, it made its money. It's just more than double its money. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't a. I don't think it was the barn burner they hoped it would be. No, oh, wow. no, no, no. It certainly oh. didn't spawn anything, uh, you know, that uh, that was gonna, you know, be an evergreen for the for them in any way, shape, or form. In That's the same crazy. way that, uh, you know, that that other franchise was for Lucasfilms and uh, and so on, and Fox. I didn't realize Gary Nelson directed Johnny Belinda, which I've always meant to see. It's my mom's a big fan of that one. I'm completely unfamiliar with that one. Mm-hmm. It was his first uh, first film. Yeah, he did uh, oh. Lawless. Uh, what was it Lawless Molly or something like that too? I mean, he did a Molly few things. Molly and Lawless John. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He did a few things. Uh, Couple get get smart. Get smart. Alan Quatermain. Yeah, he did a lot of a lot of TV stuff, oh. especially. Yeah. Um, huh. you know, I mean, he's still he's, alive too. Eighty five years old. They're still kicking Good for him. Good for him, for real. But no, I don't think he did anything else for Disney. Like I said, to me, like I said, I, again, I, I'd be curious. This is one I think I would love, not I think, I would love to have a, a special edition of for a commentary track from some people that yeah. worked on the film. It'd be fascinating to hear because, listen, I, I could be throwing Gary Nelson under the bus here. Yeah. And it could have been the, the, the Disney execs that went, no, no, we can't do that. And he had to work to get what he did on screen in yeah. some ways, right? Uh, so well, just about, just I don't about the entire cast is gone now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Perkins is gone. Shell's gone. Borgman's gone. Forster's gone. Uh, Bottoms she, might still be around. Uh, I think Mimu's uh, gone, isn't she? Is she? I, I don't. She I don't be. know off the top of my head. I mean, her and Bottoms might be the, the two that are still around. Pickens is gone. McDowell's gone. She's um, still alive. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Now, his bottoms is the question. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah. Uh, yeah, bottoms is forever. Uh, oh, thankfully he is. Oh, there you go. There's two of the two out of the cast is uh, is still with uh, us. Can you believe there was four bottoms brothers? Yes, I can. Wow. I have never really gravitated towards the bottoms uh, brothers. And you can let that. That's not what you told us before the show started. That yeah. is not what I tried earlier. But. 
There's more. There's room for more than one power bottom in your life, my friend. <laughs> there is. There's four of them. Maybe Timothy. There's four. Yeah. <laughs> Who, which, who's in the last picture show? Is it Tim or Sam? I'm trying to remember. I think that, that was, was Sam. He, I want to say Sam as well. Yeah, right? I think it was. Sam. And then there was the one who was in Up from the Depths, uh, and uh, Outlaw Josie Wales. What was his name? Uh, That's Sam. Sam was in Last Picture Sam? Show. Outlaw Josie Wales. No, it wasn't no, Sam Bronco in the Last Picture Show. It was uh, Bet Me. No. The Google's Sam Wright. <laughs> and Sa- Sam Bottoms was not in the last picture show. Sam no. Bottoms. That was the other, Timoth- no, that was Timothy. No, mm-hmm. fuck it. Oh, God. I give up. Anyway. Anyway, look that one up with Sammy Pontificates. <laughs> Ooh, it says Tim here, but I don't fucking, the Google's aren't making a lie out of me. There we go. Ooh. Ooh. Let's see. I got to dig deeper. I with smell Sammy a talks. challenge. <laughs> <laughs> that that was uh you smell, da, 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 da. A, you smell a borgnon biscuit the i smell yeah it was timothy <laughs> bottoms in the last picture show timothy. Well, where is sam i think sam's credited here too no but there was another one joe bought joe bottoms? sam bottoms isn't it he's tim's younger brother in the film yeah. Ooh, i win joseph Bottoms. you win yeah. we both we win. all win don't we we, we all, all we all win we all win with the bottoms yeah so. <laughs> and civil <laughs> chef was last picture show yeah and then there was uh Lord. sam bought yeah sam bottoms was it up from the depths and then timothy and wasn't uh, I get uh, stop. Sammy, I'm get tapping out on that one. Sammy, Uppers. we're going to throw you the Borgie biscuit on this one. What's Sammy. going on? Sammy. Talk to us. <laughs> so yeah, this movie has become somewhat of a cult movie in a lot of ways, right? I mean, yes. it was it was a bit of a hit, not not a huge hit, a modest hit, uh, mm-hmm. a bit of a pop culture pop cultural moment in time. Uh, yep. Me and Todd were kind of talking before you got on this morning, Will, about the kind of low budget sci fi films and. Uh, this isn't a low budget one, but we were talking about kind of how Star Wars kind of opened killed that genre it. up. Yeah, well, it killed it, but it kind of opened it up too for some of those Italian, like you know, whatever that one is with the Star Crash, <laughs> Star Crash, and <laughs> yeah, you know some of that stuff. Galaxy, forever, Galaxy of Terror, and Battle Beyond the Stars, and he kind of some oh, yeah. of you know this is kind of small moment in time that kind of came and went because once people started spending money on sci-fi, nobody was going to go see these cheap sci-fi movies anymore. Uh, those no. were those were in the past after that, after that point because people wanted to see the money on the screen, and that's what they get now when they get their science fiction. Typically, <sighs> they get expensive opera operatic type films. So, which yeah, it, it broke the mold and then made the mold in one fell swoop. Right? It's yep. Yep. Oh, just one more thing. Why have we never covered Silent Running? I'm stunned. Ten plus years in, we haven't covered Silent Running, man. I just haven't got to it. I guess too those, many films. Too many films. Too little time. This is one of those ones yeah. that. We've uh, missed, but I'm, I wouldn't say that it'll be. Well, you know, it won't be missed for long. We'll see. We'll, I imagine we'll get to it at some point. Yep. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. So it's kind of become a bit of a cult film, and some have kind of laughed it off and things. But it, I agree. You know, watching it now as a adult, the movie plays pretty good. I mean, it 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 does have some uh, kind of dour, slow moments that, uh, got on my nerves. I really enjoyed the dinner scene with everybody. That was kind of fun. It was probably a fun day on set to have those actors all together. Um, uh, Maximilian Schell is chewing a lot of scenery here. Uh, he's, he's good for that. Uh, we'll talk about him again in another film, but he's, he is good for that. And, uh, this is probably, I think he was one of the most, uh, successful German actors to come over from Germany. In America, uh, don't think he, didn't he win an Oscar for Judgment at Nuremberg or something like that? He got nominated or he won an Oscar. I can't remember what. Um, but anyway, he would pop up in films from on occasion, and it always seemed to me like he was always kind of playing the same character, kind of a a mad chef yeah. or a mad scientist or a, 
a mad cardinal. Or, I'm, <laughs> I'm mad some profession. Yes, yeah. always. Yeah, he really had that. Uh, yeah, he always had that madness uh, thing kind of nailed down. Uh, but he he uh, he is good in the movie, and really, uh, for me, the movie feels less alive when he's not on screen. Yes, like he is. Yeah. he is kind of yeah. the heartbeat of this movie. Like his character is probably the most interesting. Uh, well, I think. Go ahead. I think that he has he has one of the best moments in the movie when he whispers to Yvette Mimu. Uh, there's a moment there where he whispers to her. I don't really want to say what he says because it might be giving away a bit much, but it's a great little moment that hints at what there's, you know, there might be more going on aboard the ship than we're actually shown. I'll tell you. On the one hand, because on the one hand, no, 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 no. When Shell, Shell, Shell whispers to 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 Yvette, the Mimu character, because you know, for the most part, you you get the idea that he's kind of like this, the overlord, the Bond villainy kind of guy. Uh, which obviously that, that harkens back to John Barry's fantastic score for this, by the way. Um, uh, but it also you know, kind of gives you a little bit of a hint that you know maybe he's maybe he's not exactly doing this because he wants to. Maybe he's kind of being forced to by a certain someone um, that's uh, you know shall remain nameless, but is very very obvious. Yeah, no, I think he whispered, "Borgnon doesn't wipe." That's exactly right. He said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet you Shell's asshole didn't smell too good either, man. No, all that bratwurst. All that hair. Yeah, right? Oh, I guarantee it, dude, you, Dude, if man. his asshole looked like his face, it does. that would be... No it, yeah, it does. Yeah, It's so much hair. <laughs> he could braid it. Or that was, mad eye. Or he was whispering, <laughs> he was whispering about uh, some socks he found in Borgnon's trailer. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of biscuits, those are very crispy, crispy, man. <laughs> they crinkle when you touch them we kid yeah so let's get into a little bit about you know forster so they kind of throw him into almost a leading man role he's very much a stoic uh captain here and he does a pretty good job i think he holds his own uh they don't don't give him a whole lot to do but he is kind of the the hero of the piece and he he does a pretty good job with these actors that he's working with and again you could see that i think you know robert forster like we've said you know he he was a solid actor who sometimes just, you know, didn't do very solid movies, at least for the status quo or for the, the popularity and stuff. But he was always good in everything he did. Um, you know, I've seen him on uh, my wife watches reruns of that Tim Allen show that's on TV. She don't really watch them. She, she's the kind of person that has to have something on while she works. And uh, she'll have this, uh, I don't know what it's called, Man of the House or something. It's like Tim Allen's other show. Uh, Last Man Standing? Last Man Standing, yeah, something like that. It's one of those type of shows. Anyway, she'll have it on, and uh, every now and then I'll hear Forster, because he plays uh, Tim Allen's dad on the show. Mm. And every now and then I'll hear Forster on there. And even on that little goofy sitcom, I'll turn around and look, and he's good on that. Yeah. But I just think Robert Forster was a, I think he was a great actor who just, you know, just did the work, you know, and. Yeah, I'll stand by well, Alligator and Vigilante all day. I'll stand by those two films all day long. Yep. Oh, God, yeah. And even this one. I mean, he does the stalwart captain as good as anybody could. Yeah, uh, I think so. And I think that that's one of the things that, about Forrester is that, you know, he had that sort of versatility where he could do something like this where, you know, he's not he's he's kind of like the alpha male kind of thing. But at the same time, then, you know, you turn around and you get something where he gives you a little bit of emotion. He gives you a little bit of his heart. Uh, something like a, a Jackie Brown, say. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Forrester. 
right? That's him yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The tough guy with the heart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You you know you totally believe it. And then when you get to something like Vigilante, um, you know you see a little bit more of him. Uh, and you know, in in every one of these roles, he's a hundred percent believable. You absolutely believe uh, that he is the the characters that he's supposed to be portraying, no matter how thin. Uh, that character may have been written, and I think yeah. that that says a lot for his uh, yeah, I agree for with his that. level of talent. Yeah, I agree with mm-hmm. that. I agree with that. He he always had the he had the kind of everyman quality with yeah. A, yeah. just yeah. a touch of the movie star quality, and I think that's what made him interesting as an actor. Also, I think what always made him interesting is he never really he never really shook that kind of. Uh, I think he's from Chicago. I don't think he ever yep. really shook. He never that, shook that accent. Yeah, he well, never you shook. Get it. It's very apparent in this. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta go down here and get some dogs. You know, you, you know, get you... back in the ship, Vincent. I'm not letting you go out there. <laughs> that's oh, right. that's good. That's good. That's that was a good. good. One. Yeah, that was a good one there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it's really. I mean, he never oh, really, sh- he never really geez. shook that accent. And he was born in Rochester, New York, but I guess he I grew up in uh, New. I guess he grew up in Chicago, but he definitely has that Midwest city accent. Mm. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just another you know. So for now, and every time I see Forster, I'm going to have these you know these Forster movies. I'm going to have these bittersweet moments of you know, man, we lost a a great character actor, a great actor, um, yes, and a great leading man. I mean, he could do them all. He could do all those things. So, mm-hmm. and I went back and listened to his. Uh, there's a podcast, the movies that made me. I went back and listened to him and Joe Dante and Greg Olson. Uh, talk of, was it Greg Olson? Josh, Josh Olson, not Greg. Greg's a football player. Uh, <laughs> Josh Olson, not a football player. Uh, <laughs> listen to them talk, and uh, the show's mostly just about Forrester, but and not really about the movies that made him. But he's just so likable. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know that's the thing. Every interview I ever saw with him, he was just always like you know so kind of humbled by his success oh, yeah. and, and all that stuff. And uh, he tells that great story about being at that cafe, that sidewalk cafe, and Quentin Tarantino walking up to him, said, you know, talking about how much he loved his work and everything else, and how he's thinking about making this movie, and he thinks he might have a part for him, and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, people say that all the time, and, and it kind of revitalized his career for the back end of his uh, career. Now he didn't turn that into a lot of uh, big, uh, big budget. Uh, well, no, some big budget performances, but he didn't turn that into a lot of acting gold. But he did turn it into. A, Working for the last uh, yes. twenty years of his life, so. he had a good yeah, career. Well, look, yeah. John Travolta, yeah, same thing. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Well, Forster, well, yeah, he probably picked a little bit better. And Travolta's still, uh, yeah, the worst, either he the worst. Yeah, sometimes. he's either though. He's either like I've said before. He's either got the worst agent in the history of cinema, <laughs> or he really just, I, I, he really has no idea what's going to hit. You know, in fairness to Travolta, though, he oh. he goes through these ebbs and flows maybe more than any actor I've ever seen. I mean, that's yes. My God, he can he can it's be so top More of the charts. Ooh, well, Ooh, Nick, that's, tough. Nick, that's a tough. That's a heavyweight battle yeah. right there. Yeah, well, that's Friday night video fights right well, there. Shit. Nick Cage is definitely going through a dark time right now. There's no doubt shit, about they. that, and uh, he has been for the last decade. But I, I have a feeling that it, just like Travolta did, it'll come back around at some point. You know, the appreciation for Nick Cage will come back around. Uh, you know, he's he's an interesting actor. Uh, just uh, he's done a lot of uninteresting things lately, uh, a whole lot uh, of uninteresting things. But hey, man, you got to pay that tax, man. You got to, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, it's a job. And uh, Nick Cage realizes he didn't. He wasn't very smart with that money, and he's no, he's uh, he's paying for it big time now. Man, uh, ever. Yeah, he just makes movie after movie. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I like every time I like every week I go to iTunes and still. 
on my to Apple TV and I'll still look at some trailers. And it seems like every week there's a new Nick Cage movie on there. <laughs> yeah, and they all have the exact same poster. Yeah, they do. Like a fucking leopard print something. Yeah, with yeah like a machete or a gun. Riding and jacket or something. Fucking Elvis glasses. Yeah, he's yeah. got. Yeah, he's got one out now where he's he's, he's like this. Uh, what is it? Endangered species hunter or something like that. I know. Oh, it's man. called Primal, and I think he gets ends up on a boat, and I think the animal gets loose, and it's like die hard on a boat uh, under siege with wild savage animals, and and it's like, Fuck. what the hell happened, Nick Cage? But you know. Again, once you I think know, it was Mandy. I think once uh well Mandy's probably one of the more interesting things he's done in the last yeah, ten years. <laughs> yep. Gotta give him credit for that. I mean he still does the occasional interesting thing. It's just, you know, obviously Law of averages, he'd have to though. Yeah, yeah, you'd yeah, he'd have to hit uh, you'd have to get a single <laughs> or a double every now and then. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not even but let's be honest, he's not even batting three hundred. He's like maybe a two twenty right now. He's, I mean, he's he's below the Mendoza line, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, you know, one for ten, you know, every yeah. one out of every ten things he's doing is somewhat interesting. And the That's thing right. is he's uh some of the Nick Cage stuff I've watched, he's fine. Uh sometimes you can tell though he's really phoning it in. With Forster, you never really felt that. You never really felt like nope. no. No, no, he was never. phoning it in. And I, and I always and I, respected the material, man. And I'm going to well, say that's why I kind of that's why I kind of compared him to, to somebody like Cushing. You never felt like he was falling, yeah. and then you never felt like he wasn't giving it anything less than 100 percent of his uh, his ability and his uh, attention, his focus. Yeah, and I'll say I'll say for the record, I'm a bit of a Travolta apologist, but I'll say when he's not in a big budget thing, I, I think he really is honestly trying. I just think he picks bad material. Uh, I just think he's one of those guys. I just think he's. Well. That jet fuel don't pay for itself. That's right. That's right. You gotta, you know, and those big tips he leaves, you know, he fucking got at least fifteen hundred dollar tips. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, he's you know, he is what he is. Uh, I am, and you know, we haven't talked about this, but his him embracing the baldness has been nice. He look, he looks good. Oh, bald. I love it. He does look good. He looks really good. He looks really good, bald. He really does. He's got a, mm-hmm. he's got the face for being bald. He's got this large face, and it just works with that big smile. Yeah, so hopefully you know, we we don't see any more of those bad wigs. Because that, that, again, going back oh, to Nick Cage, that's <laughs> oh, that was so. Wait, bad. these guys are bald. <laughs> well, Nick Cage is on his way. He's he's trying desperately to hang on to it, but he's definitely on his way. Uh, and he'll look good bald. I have a feeling. Just embrace it, man. Let it, you know, let it go. Yeah, grow, you know. grow old with a little bit of grace. Yeah, go, yeah, that's right. I mean, I can tell you right now, if I started thinning out, you know, I'm lucky. I got a thick head of hair, but. If Don't I started thinning in. out, yeah. If I started thinning out, just go with it, man. No, no, no shame yeah. in that. No shame. Listen, uh, you could go with the skullet for maybe a couple of months, but then after the that, you gotta just yeah. fucking kiss it goodbye. Yeah. I don't know the skullet. The skullet's a rough look, man. That's a rough look. <laughs> it is. It was. Maybe, maybe. So, I was there. Maybe You're only so Hulk committed. Hogan. Yeah, only maybe only Hulk Hogan pulled that off ever. <laughs> no, listen, no one ever <laughs> has pulled off a skullet other than no. Hogan. So yeah, yeah. of all his feats in wrestling <laughs> yeah. and pop culture, that is yeah. none is greater than his ability to make the skullet somewhat yeah uh, respectable yeah the skull is the skull it's a heart this that's an impossible look to pull off yeah well the skull is, <laughs> he the, came out the other side of the black hole that's what he did with that yeah, one yeah, that's yeah. Right. well i mean it's such a look that the skull at white trash mustache if you see that that's immediately the first thing you think of is hogan because those two things only work on him you do on babies and white trash dudes <laughs> Yes, Raiden had a skullet. I said to someone last week, I said, yeah, he had a Hulk Hogan as a kid. Yeah, yeah. He had a skullet, man, when he was like like, like a year old. That's right, that's right. No uh, no mustache, though, sadly. Yeah, yeah no mustache. <laughs> fucking Hulk Hogan skullet. Jeez. We go from Shell's hairy asshole. 
I mean, yeah, we're, we're biscuit, all the you know, Borgie's uh, pumpernickel, pumpernickel biscuit he's got going on there. Ooh. <laughs> Shell whispering to Yvette Mimoya. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he has dirty socks in his trailer. <laughs> off the rails, man. Off the rails. It's done. With the title hey. like the black hole. You knew we were gonna go here. Hey, oh, yeah. How about that shell forehead slap? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Hey, he, he's acting Will, in a. Will's, the, Will's pulling a buttly over yeah, there. The thing, the thing with this movie is, shell, shell's in a different movie than everybody else. That's what it feels like. It feels like that kind of movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he is kind of yeah. I think about the other one that we're going to be talking about. He is. He's kind of in a different movie. I, I feel like he. I don't have any. He's on his own fucking island. Yeah, I don't have he any is. record to prove this, but he seems like me. Like he might have been a little difficult to work with. Like he. <laughs> no, I will not do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'll do it like this. That's not hard to imagine at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's definitely not hard to imagine. Show was pulling power moves on the set every day, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think he had to say, it almost feels like he had the same costume on in Vampires <laughs> in, this, in some ways. Uh, Just a little more uh, beadwork. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit more rosary beadwork. I got to turn down. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the black hole beads. Uh, uh, but yeah, but that's the thing. Shell feels like he's in, like, Shell's in Flash Gordon. Everybody else is in 2001. That's what it feels like. <laughs> These two movies, that's what it feels like in some ways. <laughs> it, it's, 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 strange, right on, man. <laughs> it's a strange right thing. On. But I do enjoy the Mad Scientist film, the kind of, uh, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I think, you know, I remember being a kid and seeing this, and I did think the robot stuff was creepy. The idea it of is. the the, yeah, the oh, people God. is you know that that is creepy, and you know there's some, some sort of Frankenstein monster s type things going on here yep. that are kind of fun. There absolutely is, which is I know what I in the interest of time I yeah, yeah which totally. is you know like what Todd was talking about. It's like horror sci-fi. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of you know cut it, keep it short here because I don't even think Todd's talked about this movie yet. And we're going, I mean Jesus, we're gonna we're gonna spend all of our hours on this one film. <laughs> So black hole bonanza. The only other tidbit I got is the main uh, black robot, and I say black robot, and I do not mean it in that way. Uh, I know we live in sensitive Star, times. I think was. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, that's portrayed by, I believe, the director of Friday Thirteenth Part Five or Six. We talked about uh, Part No Five, I believe. Yeah, really? Tom Tom Laughlin yeah. or whatever his name is. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh yeah. wow! So it's it's very it's a it's a weird tidbit. It's one of those weird pieces of trivia where you're like, wow, that's kind of weird. You know? Yeah, and that's funny that you know that sharpshooting scene. You reminded me that McDowell, uh, though I adore Roddy McDowell, he doesn't quite uh, do it as a rootin' tootin' gunslinger. Yeah, so the movie does have some weird humor. I will say that it does. There's it some does. moments where I'm like, "Is that funny? Is that supposed to be funny? I don't know. Am I? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm not yeah. laughing, but uh, at the same time, I'm like, oh, that was odd. Uh, but yeah, it does have some weird like moments. But Todd, I'll kick it over to you because we are we're running long Press and strong. Time. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to jump right in here and kind of just plow through as best I can. Uh, opening credits and John Barry's score. I think uh, from the minute that I turn this thing back on, uh, I, it pulls you right in. They're they're foreboding. They're dramatic. It gives you a real epic feel. You could certainly understand uh, why. You you certainly get a, a, a 007 vibe off it, obviously, because John Barry always had that sort of thing going on uh, undercurrent-wise uh, that you could just pick it out uh, immediately. Um the effects overall are fantastic. I think I think they largely hold up extremely well. 
um, you know, maybe a little bit of matting here and there, some laser effects that don't quite, uh, you know, live up to, you know, 2019's perspective. Uh, but other than that, you know, stuff like even the z- the zero G effects uh, are not completely awful. Um, the film has an air of an Irwin Allen disaster film, uh, you know, right from the start. Uh, and like we've been saying, the cast is pretty much great uh, for for doing what they do. You know, Mimu has this sort of damaged daughter uh, psychic thing going on. Forrester, uh, obviously, we already said the stalwart captain. We talked about him. Borgnine is Borgnine, uh, you know, through and through. Uh, and then Perkins is the intellectual scientist uh, with something dark boiling underneath the surface. Um, but you know, in the, the end game is that, I, I mean, let's face it, the robots, uh, just about steal the show and I'm using robots in the most specific sense of the word because I love saying robots instead of robots, um, <laughs> in the same way that, uh, some people say program instead of program. Uh, so, um, you get McDowell, Roddy McDowell, you get Slim Pickens as Bob, who's kind of this beaten up, uh, older version of the McDowell, uh, robot. And then you have Max Million. Uh, who's this, you know, this really odd crimson, uh, crimson guard sort of uh, thing going on. Uh, and then you have the other creepier, uh, ones because there's this sort of, uh, the guys in the robes, right. They all look like, uh, they all look like they're like acolytes or something, mm-hmm. um, which gives it a, a, a completely another flavor. It, it almost gives it this sort of religious cult sort of thing going on, uh, where, you know, Maximilian Shell is playing the, uh, the sort of, uh, Jim Jones sort of character leading these guys, off uh to uh to their doom basically um the uh, right from the beginning i think that there's an inevitability of bad shit to come uh and there's i, I felt uh, and i see like an almost nihilistic vibe uh going on throughout the story uh through going on throughout the film which is you know obviously again this is this was the time when disney was taking these sort of chances where they would they would go dark uh, and kind of almost be unapologetic about it and just kind of, you know, roll the dice and damn the torpedoes. Uh, so I appreciate that a lot. And this is basically a ghost ship story, right? Uh, with an insane genius at the center. And obviously Shell is one of those guys who excels at that sort of insane, insane genius uh, character. Uh, always has, always would. Um it does get kind of gruesome here and there uh, as the layers start to get uh, peeled back uh, when we make certain discoveries about the uh, the origins of uh, of the crew, uh, or I should say the uh, the fate of the crew uh, on the uh, the ship there. Uh, so I got to put this to you guys: Is it me, or is Perkins' character I fucking Shell's character uh, at certain points throughout the movie? Because I feel that way. You know, Absolutely, uh, I mean he's 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 totally dude, he's enamored. In love, yeah, he's totally enamored with Shell's character. Mm-hmm. And well, he and Shell, you know, they get they get really f- philosophical about the whole thing, um, and they almost have, they almost seem to get like this this doomed lovers thing going on uh, between the two, where the other characters are a bit more practical. Um, you know, and the, the other well, characters they yeah. don't really. It's Perkins' character who gets them in all their trouble, really. I mean, it's, it's well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, his, it's his, you know, it's his belief in. Says, well, well, we have to do this, right, for yeah. science, right? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have to do this for science, and yeah. and then, but it's also kind of interesting that you know he he gets snapped back to reality pretty quick once he uh, once he understands the uh, the magnitude of what he's uh, the the pile of shit that he's stepped in. Yes. Um. So, the other characters they don't really want to go along with what with the. 
taking what is arguably arguably a, a huge and dangerous step. And you could make the argument uh, that they're kind of afraid of discovery um, in certain ways, especially from how philosophical the film likes to get about this whole thing and what could be beyond the black hole and all that sort of thing. But of course, they're you know they're also our heroes, so they have to be rational and have to be right, and uh, they pretty much are. And moreover, uh, they retain their humanity, which is what I think the final shot inside the black hole symbolizes. Um, that that infamous uh, ending, uh, which we didn't really get into much at all here, mm. uh, and I think that that's also part of why the film didn't really do all that well. It's it's too sort of. Um, esoteric and it's certainly too violent and creepy for like the kiddies yep. mm-hmm. uh, that it was it was ostensibly aimed at and I think that that put a lot of them off uh, even though it, I'm sure it attracted far more who were a little more enamored of like dark things yeah well I mean um, it was a confusing time you got toy tie-ins for a movie like Ridley Scott's Alien yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. a lot of, you know I mean obviously we grow up all three of us was a little later cycle than us but all three of us grow up in a time when parents took kids to everything mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. You know, and, and and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, to each their own. Uh, you know, Will shows his kids stuff that my son's not ready for. He's a little bit more sensitive, but his kids are totally fine with it, and that's cool because every kid's different, just like every person's different. But when we were kids, I didn't really have a choice what I went and saw. If my mom and dad wanted to go see Alien, they were bringing me with them, and I was mm-hmm. I, I was going to have to ride that shit out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw you know a lot of stuff like that. Easy Money with Rodney Dangerfield. I saw that. I saw. <laughs> All kinds of Caddyshack. Well, I think we went and saw Caddyshack like five times when I was a kid. And I'm like, you know, Caddyshack's clearly not made for me. <laughs> nah. But I nah. mean, I, I have a fondness for Caddyshack now, but it's more of a nostalgia fi- fondness than anything else. But, you know, that's not something I wanted to see as a young man. Yeah. Uh, that was just a different time. You know, kids, parents just took kids with them. Right, right, right. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that they completely knew 100% who they were aiming this thing at. No, I don't think so either. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of really one of the, the appeals of me, the, the appeals to me, uh, is that it's sort of this outsider, uh, outlier of, uh, of what you would expect them to come out with, uh, especially from Disney. So, and I love that, you know, the ending subverts our expectations, which is, I think is another reason that this didn't do really well because, you know, after all the effort, um, you know, certain things happen that, uh, that you're not. Uh, expect them to happen and it gets a little hippy trippy right mm-hmm. uh and then it gives us a, a little bit of a sliver of hope that uh, you know at, at the very 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 end uh that in my mind feels kind of forced and yeah. kind of like you know stumbles a little bit there as it crosses the the ultimate uh, the ultimate line the as, ultimate uh, as they say in there. wrestling it's not a it's not a clean finish it really isn't, uh, and it, it I think that it <laughs> I think that it was it was it tries so hard to maintain what it's uh, what it's been going after philosophically that it just kind of says well well but yeah but at the same time though even though we really want this to happen then we kind of have to give them this because we kind of have to keep it a little bit upbeat yeah so they yeah. just kind of throw on this uh, this ending um that doesn't 100 percent work uh but overall um I still, you know, I still like this thing. I still yeah. like this thing a lot. Uh, actually, a lot more than I, I really ex- expected to, especially coming back to it so many years later. Um, and a lot of it still works for me, and I think that that's because of my sort of, uh, my sort of uh, penchant for cerebral uh, masturbation, not to uh, outborg nine borg nine. Um, 
and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I still like this thing. It's still, I, I like it. I, I can't, I can't put it any other way. It works for me on so many levels. Even though it's a mess, even though it's sloppy, uh, it, it's certainly professional. It certainly looks fantastic, uh, and I think it gives you enough to play with. Ha 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 ha. Uh, that um, <laughs> that you know, I'm a happy camper at the end of it. Even though it it doesn't tie it up together, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't finish clean. It doesn't. Yeah. I think you, I, I think that's okay though. I think you know that is okay. I think. Well, yeah. I think films. That I, don't I, li- I like. I like that it takes risk. We've yeah. always talked about this. We, yeah. I would rather see something that's uh, a failure that took a risk than see something which is a lot of fun but played it absolutely safe. Yeah, even if you think you know the ending to this movie, you don't know the ending to this movie. You really you, don't. If oh. you've never seen it, and that's what I, I think one of the things that that make this makes this movie you know somewhat special and and mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's genre so yeah all right and that's all i got guys all right will make or breaks scores make or break hmm it's hard to pick just a specific scene for this i guess i don't know i guess i'm going to go when they first board i guess i'm going to go with the reveal uh aboard shell's ship yeah. uh there's a pretty big it's a good moment dark yeah. reveal right it's it's mm-hmm. it's a really strong moment and uh, added to my appreciation for the film uh mvt yeah i was kind of torn between you know the the design production design uh costume like the design of of the film but i'm gonna go with shell because i think if shell had have been a more straight-faced lower energy actor I think some of the design would have been kind of lost in the shuffle and you would have been, I mean, that strictly would have been the, the primary thing for the film. So I'm going to go with Shell because he, he he's a great villain in the film. Like you said, I think Sammy said it, uh, a little bit Bondy in a way. Um, but he's good. He's chewing up the scenery and has a lot of energy. Uh, I'm going to give this one a 6.5 out of 10. Um, I think that score could go up with repeat viewings. It just—it's fascinating to me. I still want to see either a documentary or making of or a featurette or something with some of the behind-the-scenes stuff because it's fascinating to me that this film got made by Disney. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Uh, okay, my MVT is also Mr. Shell. I think he just brings the energy to the movie that it needs. Um, Forster's a lot of fun in the movie. Everybody's good in the movie. We should say that. I mean, I, I think we have. I mean, everybody's acting. As good as they can in a, in a kind of stoic kind of kind of I don't know Puritan in a way kind of screenplay, but I think that uh, he kind of stands out obviously because he seems to be the one that's challenging everything, including the screenplay at, at moments. Um, uh, my make or break. It's a small moment, but I, I like the moment where well, there's two moments I really like, so I'm kind of torn. But I'm going to go with the moment where Forster kind of stops and watches the funeral procession. Because oh, okay. at that point, he kind of knows something's up. I really like that scene, too, though, where Borgnine kind of interviews the limping robot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that moment, too. I like how Borgnine's. You know, I like how the, the, the one stealth character on this mission is Ernest Borgnine. The least, <laughs> most stealthy, <laughs> the least most stealthy looking actor they could find, and they make him the stealthy guy. So I found that kind of interesting. But. Uh, yeah, I like that. I mean, I like the robot design and all that stuff, but I really like that scene with Forster where he stops that little cart and, and goes and checks it out and stuff. Also, the security on the ship is terrible. I mean, these guys are walking oh, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You know, see, you have Maximilian Shaw. It's one of those things where you feel like, you know, he wants them to do that, right? So, 
Uh, my score for the film, I give this a straight 7 out of 10. I, I like it a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, the production design, like Will said, it, it's really nice. I mean, it looks really good. This film is is held up in the, in the looks department. It's held up quite well, I think. I think it obviously it looks like a movie from its time, but the design, the production design looks nice. And uh, the robots, although they are stiff and kind of silly, uh, it's always great to hear Slim Pickens talk, obviously. Uh, even if it's a robot voice, it's still you know one of the most unique accents in, in cinema history. We got to say, when you hear him talk, you think to yourself immediately, I think that's Slim Pickens. <laughs> Uh and sure enough it is and uh, Roddy McDowell's fine as the other robot as Vincent but uh, I really like the Slim Pickens performance and I like that robot I love the beat up robot I love the idea that all these other robots are picking on uh, (laughs) Vincent all the time they see him as a as a less than which Mm -hmm. I guess makes sense in the sense that they you know were once human so they kind of pick on him and stuff so it's interesting and you know that docking sequence, although it is long, it it, it builds to a, the Vincent moment in that docking sequence is pretty exhilarating. I think it works. So yeah, I had fun with it. Seven out of ten. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, so my make or break is going to be Maximilian Shell's fate. Uh, it just it stands out. Uh, it stands out as both visually and you know sort of intellectually and sort of you know however mind fucky you want to get with it i love it uh and it's the one thing that i think most people who have seen this uh kind of take away from it the most uh for them for a lot lot of it uh mvt for me i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with the effects uh i think that they are still top notch uh, like I said, aside from a couple of matting shots here and there, uh, and a couple of minor animation things, I think that the effects in this thing are superlative, uh, and I think that you can tell that Disney threw a hell of a lot of money uh, into getting those things uh, right. So uh, it shows up on screen; it's all there on screen. Hundred uh, percent of the the budget is. And score for me, I'm going a little bit higher than both of you. Uh, I'm going seven point two five out of ten. Uh, I still, yeah, I mean, I like this thing. I like this thing a lot. Um, It still hasn't let me down, even though it's, you know, kind of sloppy. But, hey, you know, what are you going to do? And for those of you, like like we've been saying, uh, it's uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. I don't know if we did, uh, but it is on there. For for those of you who who got that recent uh, little streaming thing, there's other things besides uh, Star Wars, and this is one of them. What? What? There's what? Thing, you're telling me there's, your tongue, there's something else other than Star Wars and Marvel? I lied. But oh, my God. <laughs> I, I was bastard. kidding. There's not. You bastard. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying that this is an option for those of you who... Uh, <laughs> who would like to venture outside of that? No. Who, well, I don't know who you are. You're, you're foreign to me, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> nice. All right, we're going to take a short break, come back, and we're going to talk Vigilante. It's been a long time coming. We're going to discuss it here in just a minute. We'll be back. Right. We'll be right back.
right. Jay Chataway doing John Carpenter. <laughs> Good stuff right there. All right. So we are back. Is everybody present? Yeah, I'm at. Um, I just want to make sure I'm you not the only one talking to myself there. Got kind of quiet there for a minute. I was dancing with myself for a yeah, couple yeah. of seconds. Oh, there. nice, nice. I like, As yeah. Billy Idol might say. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I like that song quite. I like that intro quite a bit. I'm glad that's a good choice, Will. That was a good one. I yeah, think. man, that brings the thunder. I know our good buddy Aaron on the Big Island said he works out to that jam too. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Yeah. How? Am, why am I having trouble spelling vigilante all of a sudden? Elemental <laughs> <laughs> P. Hey, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm having trouble spelling it for some reason. Uh, still having trouble spelling it. Look at that. My God, uh, man! I know it's a, well, a wreck. I am a wreck, and also it's uh, early in the morning, and it is. Yeah, and I'm struggling, uh, struggling hard here. Let me see. Do you want me to synopsize this while you figure out the spelling? <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, I'm happy to do it. Uh, I, I think I got it. I, I guess you it. don't need the spelling if you don't. Uh, yeah, if I don't synopsize for the whole purpose it. of this. <laughs> All right, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. (laughs) 1982's Vigilante, directed by William Lustig. When his wife and son are brutalized by thugs and a corrupt criminal justice system puts the perpetrators back on the street, a New York City factory worker turns vigilante to find some (laughs) measure of bloody justice. Uh, so that, uh, I don't really feel like he's a factory worker. I feel more like he's a mechanic or something. He's a mechanic, yeah. Yeah, he he goes around to, he's, he's sort of like a... Uh, yeah, he's a, a technician yeah. who travels around. What a great place to work, though, man. You work with uh, Fred Williamson and Richard Bright. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of a fun place to work. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like going to prison and Woody Strode looking over you, which that also I know, right? How also, lucky is that? <laughs> this also covers. <laughs> yeah, man. We got a lot of GGTMC favorites in this episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, so I, I'll be forthright. I don't know who wants to lead on this, but I'll be forthright in saying right now, I think this is William Lustig's most underappreciated movie. I agree. Uh, Fair statement right there. I think that the only movie that comes close to this movie in vigilanteism is the original Death Wish. I think this is one of the best of the vigilante movies. And yes. uh, and I think the reason why is because this is, I think it tells a very solid story. And it's not just about the exploitation elements. It is not a, just about the exploitation. It elements. is very exploitive. It is very exploitive. Let's make sure. Oh, it we, is. It <laughs> is. It's definitely a Bill Lustig movie. But yes. at the same time, I think this. I think this movie has got a bad rep because of some of the violence in it. And I think. Uh, I think everybody in the movie is very, very good. Oh yeah, this is actually one of Fred the Hammer's. I think best acting performances. Easily. Easily. Yep, yep. Not he's even, fucking great. He's man. really good in this. Uh, Richard oh, yeah. Bright is one of the other the the ex cop that's a mechanic now. He's, he's really he's good. Great, yeah. uh, Forster <clears throat> is really really good as this character who sees the innocence in life and then has it ripped out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's uh, I just revisiting this. It reminded me why I like it so much and why I wish that Bill Lustig would have made more films. Oh man, I know he was a much more talented director than I think he gives credit he gets credit for. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But is anybody in particular want to lead? I'll kick the I'll kick through this thing here. Go for it, thereby. Uh Derby. all right. So yeah, like we were saying with Fred Williamson, I mean, even when he's making a serious point, Fred Williamson is still Fred Williamson. Uh <laughs> he's still got the swagger, he's still got the cigar, he's still got that sculpted ass beard. Does he have a cigar um, in this? I guess he does have a cigar in this. Yeah, yeah he, does. he does. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh 
that's his thing, man. Yeah, well, I know, um, I know, but I mean, he's so. And I'm not to be, you know, sound like I'm just blasting how much I love this, but Williamson's so good in this that I kind of ignored the cigar, which is his signature. <laughs> which is his signature. Like that's the thing. Like I always recognize in most Fred Williamson jams because, really, and he and he's even said so. You know, the thing with Williamson is he gets the cigar, he gets the girl. You know, yeah. he gets to kick yep. ass. He does those three things, yep. and it's a Fred Williamson movie. Now, he does those three things in this, but this is not, a, fortunately for him, I think, in a lot of ways, this is not just a Fred Williamson movie. No, it's pretty evenly split, actually. Yeah. Yeah, um, is. So you get the opening with him addressing the uh, the group, and I think it's, you know, it's 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 kind of an inflammatory opening, uh, partly addressing the group that uh, Williamson is addressing, partly addressing the audience directly. Um, and you know, it's certainly a sentiment that I think people can understand, especially those who feel like they are, uh, drowning in a society that only wants to do them harm. Um, and you know, it's, it, this is one of those movies where I think it, it gets a little more controversial. It gets a bit controversial because of its more exploitive elements, but you know, whether or not you agree with the tactics going on in this thing, I think that most people, and especially people back then when New York city looked like, you know, post uh, world war two Berlin, yeah. Uh, have had the urge to take justice into their own hands. Sure. Um, this is a thing that appeals to us, and it's not simply um, it's not simply a thing where you know we could just say, well, you know, that's that's just New York. Well, you know, everybody's felt this way at some point or another. Everybody, this this has an appeal. It is, a, uh, yeah, it is a natural human emotion. It is a very, it's a very primal <clears throat> to one very vengeance. primal thing, yeah, and especially vengeance, especially yeah. if you've been fucked over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but of course, you know that also means that you know the villains in this thing have to be you know one-dimensional animals, uh, <laughs> and the yeah. justice system has to be corrupt and ineffective in yeah. order for this movie to really to really work and work as well as it does. And I think Lustig does his best uh, to put us in the corner of a man, uh, the Forrester character, who is pushed to breaking. He, uh, but he's not the only vigilante in the film. Uh, it's it's kind of like it, uh, the way that I was uh, looking at it when I, I watched this thing again is that you know it's like Forster is drawn into the Paul Kersey society, yes, uh, in certain ways, um, and it's interesting because you know the things going on around Forster don't concern him uh, up until they do, right? He's literally the willfully ignorant. Uh, you know, he's he's one of these guys. That, you know, it's not my problem. It doesn't affect me. Well, he uh, almost and this is how this is how Lustig attacks it. Yeah, he almost looks upon it with a bit of disdain too. Like he almost looks upon it. With, yeah. Like you guys, yeah, you guys until, are, until he needs. Yeah, and you guys are fucked up. But then when he gets a real taste for it, he's like, you know, yep. he yep. gets personal, right? And and I think that's where I think this film and I think Death Wish handle that. They both handle that really well. Uh, yeah. You know, Death Wish kind of gets railed sometimes for its violence and stuff. But you know, I still remember the most pivotal scene in Death Wish, and we talked about it, and still to this day is the fact that you know the first time Paul Kersey kills somebody, he throws up. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. because he's repulsed by what he's become, and I think there's moments in this where Forster is repulsed by the idea of becoming that, uh, but soon accepts that he must be. I mean, there's a great moment where with a character falling off of a a height, a thing of height. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I won't yeah. go any further than that. So, so yeah, but I mean, uh, so this is the approach that Lustig has taken, right? And you know, he has the vigilantes already in action. Uh, before Forster comes to them, so he has to turn to them at his lowest point. And the rest of the story then is kind of how he deals with that. Uh, and he starts at the point of most people with uh, with uh, Fred the Hammer tempting him. Uh, but, you know, Forster's one of these guys who, you know, yeah, he, he believes the system works. He believes justice will be done because that's what he was taught to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know it's it's one of these these subjects where it gets a little dicey because people obviously don't want to actually see vigilantism if you saw it on tv you'd be kind of uh repulsed and horrified but at the same time you know it's it's one of those desires that we have uh it, to you know take out these uh, these scumbags that uh, are wrecking everything around us that are making the, yeah. the society fall to shit yep. uh and i think forrester's great as eddie um you know yes. he's always he's always been able to do the earthy every man. He just did it in the black hole, like we've been saying. Uh, and I think that this role here fits him to a T. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I think oh, <laughs> uh, both gangs are ethnically ethnically diverse. Uh, <laughs> so you know you grant them that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got that covered. <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. And this is certainly, yeah, this is inspired by Death Wish, but it feels more like Death Wish 3 uh, a little bit, I think, uh, two years before that one came out. Um, but it sort of walks a middle ground between the first Death Wish and the third one in its approach. Um, the assault, uh, the big assault that we have in the film is is, is plenty rough, uh, and it's especially chilling uh, in the way that it portrays uh, putting the the uh, the kid in danger, um, yeah, it's more about the so kid it, being in danger than uh, Death Wish was more about. Well, Death Wish had some kids in danger too. Sure, uh, it did just teenage, but this is yeah, the child's much. But this younger is like here. toddler yeah. teen, yeah. toddler kid. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah, this is some rough stuff. I mean, it's uh, it is, it is. Yeah, if you have but children, that's, that's it's the thing. Rough, it's to, you got to wonder how much of this, how much of this is uh, is Lustig exploiting these emotions how much of this is lustig actually being like you know this isn't a bad idea yeah um and i think that's one of the things that it brings up and i think that's that's one of the things that makes it interesting to talk about um so jay chataway score obviously great uh you get carol lindley in this thing doing double duty as both a, a statistical expository unit uh and she also is there to show us how overworked and underfunded the district attorney's office is yeah. yes. uh which obviously brings us to joe spinell uh, who, of course, is you know as greasy as fuck and just an absolute total worm, <laughs> yeah. uh, as he yeah. was wont to do yeah. uh, so many, many, many times back yeah. then. Yeah, he is. He he portrays that character just about better than anybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, and yeah, he does it here. Uh, I did not want to be in that bathroom with him and the, and the other guy who looks like uh, um, uh, Clarence Williams the third. Um, yeah, Don Blakely. Don Blakely, who uh, I wonder if Tarantino cast him as uh, Bruce Willis's trainer in Pulp Fiction because of this movie. <laughs> yeah. If you guys remember, yeah, you might not remember, but he was Bruce Willis's trainer in uh, was he? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I didn't. And that completely that. went on under my radar. Yep. completely under my radar. Yeah, you almost feel like it has to be, uh, you know, with 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 Tarantino's knowledge of movies, right? It almost. But of course, you know, Blakely did a lot of stuff. But God, mm-hmm. he's he's such a God, he's such a piece of shit in this movie oh my god huge huge oh, yeah and he's got that fucking that that uh, bedazzled headband thing going on that uh yeah they do a really tragic. good job of you making you hate him in this movie well sure yeah. uh, and <laughs> i mean they do and he does a great job as well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean they're irredeemable mm-hmm. uh and they have to be like i said uh but you get you know the hammer gets to be the hammer right he, he gets to whip out some of his kung fu that's right um, and Woody Strode uh, shows up, proving that he's still a badass, right? With, with uh, a slight variation on his usual mustache. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it was nice. It was a little bit, a uh, little bit thinner. Yeah. Uh, and furthermore, you know, Strode uh, he provides Forster with a sorely needed attitude adjustment, which is, you know, that he's just like everyone else. You're not special. You're not, you know, cut the shit and deal with the, what you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's interesting that you know while Forster's in jail, uh, the Hammer and company are upholding the action and the plot of the movie. Uh, I think that Lustig, you know, he knows how to pace a genre movie, and this doesn't totally play out as expected. I don't think uh, because no. it's not really until like the last thirty minutes that things really escalate. Uh, and you know, remember that Forster was in jail for the majority of the time of the film up till that point. Um, and furthermore, you know, his wife is worse than dead. Uh, so yeah. you have that to deal with as well. Um, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting how they, how they kind of split that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Forster gets into this whole debacle with the, the judge and everything else. He goes to jail and there he is while, uh, Fred Williamson and, and his, his pals are kind of, uh, doing duty out on the streets. Uh, so he kind of, he kind of separates it out. It's really weird. Uh, how that was meant to play out because I mean obviously we're supposed to be uh, with the uh, the Forster character as being the uh, the primary protagonist but then uh, to uh, to kind of um, split it like that is just really odd but it still works because it still keeps up the pace it still keeps us going and we still like the uh, we still like the characters and want to follow them uh, and it's certainly we, we want to follow them as they're hunting down these uh, these animals that they're they're hunting down. Now, am I, am, I, am I right in saying that the one African-American gentleman in jail is the same guy that played the half-nude Cruisin. cowboy? Yeah, that's the same. Has to be, dude. That's exactly what I thought. Has to be the same guy. Yeah, he's a pretty specific <laughs> type, right? Like he's, yeah. man, I, I, that was the first thing I said. Oh, my God, it's the it's the uh, the dude from Cruisin that slaps the taste out of Pacino's mouth, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to look for his name here. I'm going to have to look at Cruzan and see if I can find a similar name. But, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. I would bet. I would bet on it. Yeah. I'm going to look, too. Keep rolling. Cool. Would you make the same bet you made on the bottoms? <laughs> well, I was right on the bottoms. Yeah, so. everybody. So me and you might be right on this. I'm pretty sure we're right. But um, yeah, Anyway, so just looking. Good. Go ahead. Go ahead, Todd. Sorry. No problem. Uh, there's that uh, the scene on the racquetball court, uh, which you know Lustig pulls off especially well. It's simplicity itself, uh, and just effective as all hell. You feel every emotion that Forrester's got, uh, and by this point in the movie, we're totally in his corner. Um, and one of the things that I love about this film is that once Forrester reaches that point, uh, not only is there no doubt whatsoever in him, uh, but there's also no limit to how high up the food chain he'll go. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised we never we didn't get another uh, Spinell scene in that regard, but we don't. Uh, Forster kind of outdoes Hammer and his pals, and we don't really blame him one bit. Um, and I don't think that Lustig at any point tries to pass any kind of judgment on him. Um, and you know, if you really want to kind of bring this back to like a, a little bit more pop culture-y kind of stance on it, you could always say that. Uh, this could have almost been a, a Punisher origin movie, yeah. Uh, in certain ways, yeah. Um, because I mean, like I said, this thing, this thing goes for it. Um, yeah. It's it's bleak stuff, yeah. Uh, and despite its more exaggerated elements, there is, I think, a certain forthrightness, if not honesty, uh, about its subject matter that really, you know, hits uh, hits the audience where it needs to hit them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we've been saying that, like I've been saying, this is something that uh, that appeals to people. Um, you know, even though we wouldn't want to see it in real life, we love it in movies, uh, and this thing serves it up for us uh, in an extraordinarily satisfying way. 
Uh, that's all the notes that I got. So if one of you guys wants to jump on in. It's interesting that to me, like the exclamation point at the end of this movie mm-hmm. is really the only moment that really feels super exploitative to me. See, that doesn't, if we're talking about the same moment here, uh, we're talking uh, about a remote control car. Yeah. A remote yeah, control. Uh, not a remote well, control that, car. That part of it. Yes. But the, what he's doing, no, I completely buy into it. Okay. All right. No, I do too. I buy into what his character is doing as well. Will, did you find anything about that uh, actor? I can't. It's proving harder to find than I would have yeah. liked, but I'll, I'll keep digging if you, yeah. uh, you're you going to jump I'm, in the I'm notes. Amazed I'm amazed too. I'm not going to fucking stop now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm amazed too. I, like, I thought this would be an easy find, but it's not. Of course. Um, Bo Rucker I thought was him, but it's not. So Rucker, I'm going to keep no. rolling here. Um, so I think that the vigilante genre, like Todd said, I think it kind of cuts to the essence of the kind of questions we ask ourselves all the time. And I think that's why, you know, Tarantino calls it the vengeance or the revenge plot or all right. these things. But but it's, think, it's one of those things that gets, it gets unfairly shit on. It does. Uh, because of, because of, I think that, you know, the, the feelings that it stirs up in people who may not want to admit that they feel this way yeah. in some aspect. And then the other aspect of it is that it has to be uh, innately exploitive in order for us to act, to really, really um, get, be satisfied, get, get catharsis out of uh, the way that these things turn out. Yeah. So you kind of, it, it really is one of those things where you kind of, it's, it's a tight line to walk. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think this movie does it fantastically, probably yeah. better than the Death Wish film. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, maybe I think so. the The key is with uh, the, the vengeance thing is if if you've never had a moment in your life where you have never thought about revenge in some way, and it doesn't You're have to be, to yeah, and if it doesn't have to be this way, uh, it doesn't have no. to be this level of vengeance. I'm talking about you know somebody wronged you in some other way, even when you were a child. If you never had that moment, then first of all, you truly are a saint. But second of all. <laughs> Uh, I just don't believe you because I think that it's a natural human. Uh, it's part of our character. It's part of what drives us to be both successful and dangerous. It's part of what drives our uh, all of our, our politics in some ways. It, 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 it drives a huge chunk of our motivation for a lot of things. And uh, people like to deny it, but it's, it's you know, it, it's there. It's there in so many things all the time. Um, it sounds like Will might have a... You find him? Yeah. <laughs> did you find him? <laughs> sure did. Three words. Henry Judd Baker. There we go. There we go. All right. Yeah. He that, that that's right. There it is right there. I see it now. <laughs> Fuck man. He's he was in Blue Jean Cop. Yeah. Which isn't that that isn't that uh, uh what's it Maurizio Merrily film? It might be. He's wearing he's wearing like a rhinestone headband in that one. <laughs> That's man. He's he brings the thunder in the few little snippets he's in in films. Yep. yep. Uh, All right. So there we go. We got that covered. Uh, I really miss this kind of era of sleazy movie um, that they made in the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, this is kind of the tail end of a lot of that kind of stuff. But I mean, I miss these kind of movies. I think part of the reason why I like the movies that come out now that kind of people kind of shit on and stuff with the. Uh, you know the politics and everything is you know there is a point of view here it's not it's not necessarily Lustig saying that he believes in vengeance but it is the point of view from the characters uh that's what i like i like that kind of stuff and uh, you know there's not honestly as as much as the williamson and richard bright characters as much as their heart is kind of in the right place sometimes uh 
their head is not. I mean, it's you know, it's, right? But Lustig, Lustig doesn't Lustig doesn't moralize yes. about their choices. He yeah. allows them to be. He allows it to play out and just be like, "This is what these guys believe. This is the way they're doing it. Yeah. You either take that or you don't." Yeah, and you don't feel and like, I like that. Yeah. I like that. You don't feel like yeah. Lustig is beating you over the head with it. Like this right. is what these no. characters think. This is not what Bill Lustig thinks, and maybe Bill Lustig does, but you never feel that. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know either. I mean, I don't know. Don't know Bill that well. I know him quite well from all the interviews, but don't know him very well. Um, this, this, uh, yeah, these, uh, this gang, uh, the the jackets, uh, man. They really need to hire somebody else to make those jackets. Those jackets yeah, are they need pretty. A better, uh, better no, that, it's I'm so glad you know we are in line as usual. Those jackets are fucking so weak. They are. This gang is angry because they can't oh. find the right jacket. Because they got they got beat for a bad jacket design, man. They didn't get invited to the warriors meeting because no. their jackets were so shitty. They're so low down, they ain't even on the map. <laughs> I mean, man. Man, these gang jackets are, they're below, I would say they're below Italian production of an American gangster movie. I would say, I would say they're probably in line with a grade 11 student doodling on their binder, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like, this will be my metal band and this will be our insignia. <laughs> People are looking at it like that's terrible, dude. Oh, it's like it's like a like a decapitated vampire bat head or something. Yeah, like it's it's, it's it's pretty rough. But even in saying that kind of silliness, it it looks worse than it even sounds. I mean, it just it, it does. It like, sounds cool. It's I've seen not, some cool decapitated bat heads, but I've never seen one that looks this kind of shinty. I mean, it looks pretty. I rough. might take it down to grade six. This is even high school level <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> yeah, this is. Some oh, I'm so glad there. you mentioned that because I, I can't, every time their back would be to the camera, I think, "Fuck, that looks bad." It does. It does. Oh. It looks rough. But I, but I do like that the gang does have a character because it is a nice mixture of folks. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there is some just some awful, awful stuff in here. Uh, oh yeah, the violence isn't like totally in your face. It's it's uh, well not compared to Lustig, not compared to Maniac or. Uh, maybe something else Lustig has done. Maybe not even Maniac Cop in some ways, but I think that it, it's it's certainly prevalent enough that the movie is kind of. I can see why people may have turned away from it. Some it's a bit icky. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly it's. Not, I like this movie a lot. I I, I really enjoy the the storyline. I enjoy the way it works. I love the score. I love I love a lot about it. But I will be the first to admit that it, it it is a it's a cynical movie, and by being so cynical, I can see why it may it made its budget back. I think five times over. I think it cost a million dollars to make, and I think it made five million. Wow! So I mean, it was a hit uh, for that kind of genre, that kind of budget. But as times went on, I know I, I've read some reviews of it, and while some people have said things as crass as it's a junk movie made by junk filmmakers. Oh, uh, and on. stuff like that, and I'm like, you know, this movie's not even nearly that bad. I mean, it's not even close to being that bad. Uh, junk is not the word I would use. Is it? Uh, I mean, is it a a, a social change uh, that kind of movie? Is it a death wish in the way that it's approaching a subject that you know uh, may have kicked off a lot of conversation? Maybe not, but it's certainly uh, a type of film that still warrants the conversation to be had. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think it, I think it is. I think it's deep enough to yeah. To I think so too. Using on uh, on what it's uh, bringing up. Yeah, uh, 
We should say that when uh, Forster is in the prison, we find out that Robert Forster is a bit of a sunbather. Dim tan lines there, bay. Yeah, man. <laughs> man. Woo, I'm That's tidy it. whitey. That's a tidy whitey one if I've ever seen one. Hey, who wore it better, Vigo or Robert Forster? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with Forster because I love Forster more, but Vigo is a pretty yeah. solid one. Uh, the only difference between Forster and Vigo is Forster will show you the coin purse. I mean, uh, uh, Vigo will show you the coin purse. Forster, even if he did show it to you, you probably wouldn't see it because it'd probably be tangled in uh, that uh, Maximilian shell hair. Uh, <laughs> I remember thinking, if he turns around, we ain't going to see much. <laughs> That's a mushroom tip and a lot of hair. Now, Henry Judd Baker, he must have been packing some real heat, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looked like he, I mean, if you remember cruising, uh, that jock strap yeah. he was wearing was, uh, you know, looked like a baby diaper. That, some bitch was, yeah, that thing was uh, screaming. Um, yeah, so there's a good car chase in New York here, I think. I, yeah. I, love yes. the, I love the claustrophobia of a car chase on a street with cars parked on both sides. Oh, yeah. Because my thought always is, man, somebody could, a kid could run out. Somebody could walk out at any time. A dog, anything can happen. That's that's the urban, like, fear. Uh, you know, I live in the country, sort of, so my bigger fear is more like deer <laughs> and things like that running out. But, you know, you don't see cars parked on the side of the roads. But th- that chase scene is actually pretty good, all, all things considered. And, you know, I, there's a lot of good, like, dialogue moments. I like the scene where Forster is kind of finding out what these guys do. And he's kind of judging them, but not judging them too much. But you can tell that he's like, yeah, you know, I'm above that, guys. You know, my life is good. You know, I go to the park with fly model planes. Well, and part, and part of it, like I said, is that, you know, he just wants to be like, you know, I want no parts of this. If I ignore it, it yeah. doesn't affect me. That's right. And that's, in a way, in a way, and this is a broad statement, and a lot of people aren't going to like to hear this statement. In a way, that is the American way. Is if, yeah. we, if we ignore it long enough, it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, it'll go away. It but doesn't it, exist anymore. Out yeah. of sight, out of mind. But it does exist, right? It never goes away. It's just we choose to ignore it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that, in a lot of ways, that is the American condition. Uh, in a lot of sides, I shouldn't just say American at this point. It's a lot of society's problems uh, in the worldwide. You know, if you ignore the poverty, then it doesn't bother you. You know, if you ignore the homeless, you know, my son, he, he's so sensitive. Well, part of that, I think, is also it's not just because it's it's part self-preservation, yeah. uh, which yeah. I think is, is the majority of it, actually. Yeah, it's the majority of it. Uh, and then and then the other part of it is that, you know, you don't really have an answer. Yeah. So well, it's too complicated a problem. To solve. What are you going to fucking do? Yeah. Yeah. It's too complicated a problem to solve. It's a problem we've created over decades or and in, in years and centuries of issues. And it's, yeah. it's too big. It's, and now what? And now what are you going to do as one yeah. person? What are you going to yeah. fucking do about it? It's going to be it's, realistically. It's Let's really be realistic. It's about the it. it's the gun problem now. It's the gun problem now. We've had years of, you know, a fluctuation of weapons into well, the that's, market. That's a that's a steep slope there. That is. But we've had a you know it, it's we've had this fluctuation of all this into our culture, and now we're looking upon it like you know we'll make this one law and it'll all go away. It's not going to go away. No, it's going to be around it's not forever. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there's too much. There's not. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You might. We got to be careful. It is a slippery slope. That's a whole other animal. That's a whole other <laughs> yeah. animal. It's a slippery slope. But you know, oh, like, yeah. I think about my son. You know, here we are. You know, my son the other day he wanted to give a, a homeless guy a sandwich. He gave my homeless guy a sandwich. And then mm-hmm. the other day we uh, we were driving through somewhere and there was a bunch of homeless. It's cold outside. It's cold, cold down here. And there was a bunch of homeless people under a bridge. And he's like, I want to give them all sandwiches. And I'm like, Look, bud. That, that your heart's in the right place. I understand you, you, you got the right sensibility and I hope you never lose that. But the reality is you can't fix everything. You just, you can't. 
and right. and it's just it's a it's a moment of growing up, right? And and that, that, that and I, I thought about that when I watched this movie uh, that Forster, you know, he thinks to himself, you know, he can ignore this this bad side of life, and because it, it doesn't affect him, he's got a perfect little life. Like I said, with that very big model airplane and this little boy and they're hanging out at the park and it's wonderful it's a beautiful scene it's beautiful to see new york city in the distance and and all that stuff and it's but it's one of those moments where you realize that what what lustig is saying is they can all you can lose it all in the blink of an eye right i mean mm-hmm. most people if not all people are not going to lose it hopefully thankfully god i hope nobody does to a home invasion but oh man because those are truly some of the scariest things in the world but it does happen, and you know it, it shakes people to their very foundation of of humanity in a lot of ways. Not to use big fancy philosophical words, but it does because I, there was a time when I thought, well, vengeance is kind of silly. I would never do it. And then I had my kids, and you're very protective of your kids and you're, who you're supposed to protect. And then you think to yourself, well, if somebody was to do something to my kid, I'd fucking kill that person. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yep. And then, oh, yeah. And then you have moments too, though, where you get a little older again, and you say to yourself. God, that would be terrible. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'd like to think that I wouldn't result to that animal madness, but mm-hmm. I don't know for sure. And God willing, I hope nobody ever has to make that decision. Well, that's and that's right. kind of the thing, and that's that's kind of the reason why I think that people react so strongly mm-hmm. uh, to stuff like this is because they they you know may or may not honestly believe that they are above it all. Yes, and that's really kind of the the part of the point of this movie the part of the, this sort of movie when it's done well uh is that it kind of places you in the position that you know what you ain't and that's kind of what i was trying to get to with like the woody strode character when he's trying to school forrester a bit is that you know you ain't above this so yeah. you got to deal with it yeah um and i think that that's you know the kind of the thing and i, I think that's one of the things that, that just people of a certain mindset do not like to confront in, yeah. in, in themselves yeah and yeah. I, and, and and you know Yes, as, as exploitive as something like this is, it still raises that question when it's done well, and I think it's done well here. Yeah, so. yeah, there you go. Um, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I just, you know, like I said in the beginning, I just think this is one of Bill Lustig's uh, most underappreciated films. I think it's one of his most solid. I think his, uh, I think this and Maniac are back to back, right? Are they are they close to back to back? I'm pretty uh, sure. Pretty close, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're back. Maniac back. would have been eighty-two. I think it would have been eighty. It would have been eighty. 80 I thought oh, it was 80. eighty. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Right at the beginning, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, what a one-two punch, you know? I Man. mean, what a combo. For I mean, real. it's 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 pretty impressive what he did as a you know kind of a movie geek uh, growing up on you know all these sleazy movies he grew up on in New York, and he just kind of started making movies out of because I don't think he's film school taught or anything. I do not believe he is. No. And uh, I'm looking at his filmography now. Jesus Christ, Bill. Got a lot of producer credits, man. That's what he mostly does oh, yeah. now, that and DVD yep. stuff, right? Man, I'm trying to find his directorial credits. There they are. Jeez. Only 12. Uh, yeah, Maniac and Vigilante, right back to back. So before that, he was doing porn. Uh, Violation of Claudia and Hot Honey is Billy Bag. What a great name. Billy, <laughs> Billy Bag was his uh, porn uh, director name, but then he came along and did Maniac and Vigilante and Maniac Cop. I'll say that that one, two, three punch is as good as anybody's one, two, three punch. Um, yeah, I think those three films in a row are pretty pretty impressive. I've never seen Hit List or Relentless. I don't. Th- I'm um, Relentless. I think it's got Judd Nelson in it. Maybe I may have seen that. Uh, I've, I've seen it in the video stores. I can't remember. I've never seen Hit List. I wonder what Hit List mm. is all. I'll need to check that out at some point. Will, I kick it over to you. 
Okay, cool. It's got uh, Jan Michael Vincent, Jan Michael Vincent, Lance Hendrickson, and Leo Rossi in it. Hit list does. Oh man. Oh, and Charles Napier, Rip Torn. Oh, oh man, Chuck. that's we, quite the cast. We got to check this thing out at some point. Yeah, that's a fun cast. So Tony Masanti was going to be cast in the Forrester role. I don't mind Masanti, but I'm glad this was Forrester. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Or it makes it makes uh makes it all the better. Um. Yeah, this is one I've had the Blu-ray for years and years. Um, I'd never caught it on VHS. I don't no, I don't think I did. Um, so I remember watching it. Uh, God, it's, I've had the Blu-ray for over a decade now. I feel like it has to be more, maybe. Yeah. Um, I remember when you I watched it, I think, for the first time. It was back when the yep. show started, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And it was one of those ones I just had been embarrassed. Not embarrassed, but, you know, a list of shamer. And I finally saw it. And I let's pour one out. I don't know if they're doing Blu-rays anymore, but Blue Underground, speaking of Bill Lustig, always came correct on the Blu-ray tip. Like, they Mm. always had a great disc, man. Great features. Always did a really good job. Yeah. Um, So good to get on them. During the uh, DVD era and the Blu-ray era, yeah, they... Oh, yeah. Always look forward to a Blue Underground release. Yep. Good stuff. Films by film lovers. Um... So GGTMC, I mean, I'm just stunned <laughs> that this one's been this long down the line for us. Um, considering all the, the GGTMC connections, Forrester, Fred the Hammer, Lustig, Spinel, uh, Strode, it's just, it's really in its DNA. It's very GGTMC and it's the kind of film we would have loved to have covered when we were talking about doing a show, right? So mm-hmm. it's crazy it took this long. Um, this is 80s New York by a New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you see, I think, above and beyond some of the stuff you guys have talked about with real world bleeding into film. Um, I just want to echo that. I think this was at a time when New York was, we've seen now 30, 40 years on from this era, uh, New York was really at its its dark point and the city was in ruin in a lot of ways. There was a lot of budgetary issues. Um, the, the city was not this this beacon of tourism and joy that it is nowadays uh, yeah. for a lot of people right it was rubble it was it was just rough stuff yeah i, I tell you the difference when i was a kid i didn't want to go to new york because i was scared my son <laughs> that's where he wants to go for his birthday next year <laughs> yeah. well exactly I, I was in Times square with my kids yeah. uh, i don't know three four years ago at one in the morning eating yeah. lamb shawarmas and it's like i kind of laughed to myself thinking yeah boy if this was you know 20 years ago <laughs> uh, yeah. this you'd, wouldn't be happening yeah you'd have been tasting some lamb it just would have been a different type yeah. of lamb yeah <laughs> that's right different shawarma yeah it would have been it certainly would have been man <laughs> been a spinel taint uh uh, spinel sway oh man <laughs> i love spinel but oof, i don't want that that's that's Dude, a that sour thing's milk. gotta be slick as a fucking dolphin Jeez. back I, I love yeah. him i love him too but i have no doubt that his ass complexion was the same as his face complexion oh my god yes yeah. like <laughs> acne kind of thing going on oh man why you gotta yeah. do joy like that <laughs> hey but you're only speaking the truth so. that's right you know i'm always i'm always putting you know you're picking up what i'm putting down as we like to say uh, oh yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Would you just get a text from the Spinel uh, fan site? <laughs> the Spinel, yeah, we're getting hate mail already. Uh, we're on Joe's side here, everyone. Um, but yeah, that, I love uh, Joe Spinel, but he he is he is the quintessential sleazeball. He is to um, not with not, the not, heart not, of a poet. Yeah, not 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 personally, not not you know Joe Spinel the person. I should let's make sure oh, I clarify he, that. But as yeah, an actor, yeah, yeah. he fits oh, the. 
Italian New York sleazeball, maybe better yeah. than any other actor in cinema history. Yeah, he's got that look, man. He's got that look, as Roxette once said. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was cooking in my book, but uh, <laughs> he definitely had the look. I agree. A uh, Spinell apparently was really on the rails during the film. So he wouldn't show up. He was into the booze and drugs. They'd have to go wrangle him. And oh man, it uh, yeah, tough times for Spinell at this point. Uh, unfortunately, um, so. Yeah, I mean, this film, it does feel like that that point when when there's a lot going on and there's a fever, a feverish kind of feverish anger uh, and frustration with some of the things that were happening and the plight of the middle class and all this, right? It's That's really what it feels like, um, this middle, middle class fear and anxiety and frustration and, and revenge fantasy all kind of poured into one one pot um and you know one of the things i've always loved about lustig is he's he's been one of those guys like the bavas of the world and the carpenters that can really stretch a buck you th- you talk about a million dollars i mean the film yeah a lot of it's on location some freewheeling for sure but it looks great and it's well shot like there's that shot of all the the citizens at the shooting range right and you always get really well shot films from lustig yeah this one's always looked really good and yeah we should say, you know, he was influenced a lot by a lot of the Italian films, right? A lot of the stuff he, he caught in Times Square. Yeah. Uh, he's been very forthright in saying, right? It's like the uh, the narrow films. And I think he even, there's a moment that it feels like it towards the back end when he lifts from Street Law. It takes place at like the quarry. When it's, it's they kind of yeah. shoot it in slow motion. It's like yeah, a yeah. scene towards the beginning of Street Law when Nero's getting chased. He's got kind of that wide-eyed... Imagine Nero in the Maximilian Shell role in uh, the Black Hole. I can totally imagine. <laughs> Actually, now, yeah. now that you say it, I can totally see him in that. I can see him. As the, like, I can totally see him as the Cardinal in Vampires too. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, totally. when I think about those two actors, uh, you know, uh, Franco Nero is obviously the better looking and, and more entertaining of the two, but. <laughs> Uh, I think about a lot of uh, the characters that Shell played. I think uh, Nero could have done all those. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and he probably could have given you a German accent at the same time. <laughs> he could have. I think he could have. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we already talked about Jay Chataway, so good on him, man. A really under underappreciated uh, composer. Yeah, he is. Right? He did a lot of work with... Uh, I think he did the Maniac uh, score. I want to say he did... I wanna, did he do New York Ripper? No, he didn't do New York Ripper. I think... Uh, I think Lustig's the guy that kind of brought him to the limelight. Yeah, maybe, right. Yeah, I believe so. I think they I were friends so. or something. But I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at Chataway's. I wonder if Chataway worked with Abel Ferrara, or maybe I'm just you know making that connection because the the era in New York. Let me move this chair away from the dresser. It's getting squeaky. Um, like <laughs> yeah, Maniac that, that was his first, Yeah, Maniac was his first film, and then this, and then he he went on to do stuff after that. Uh, quite a bit uh, of stuff actually. Now, okay, good, good. Yeah, he's, he's he's been good. on the show before. Uh, Maniac Cop, Red Scorpion, he did, which I remember Red Scorpion having a pretty good score. I I, I remember, I think that. Of course, he's known for the kind of Star Trek. I think the Deep Space Nine and the oh wow, yeah, the latter episode, uh, the latter Star Trek stuff. He's known for those themes, Deep Space Nine, oh, really? Voyager, and uh, good Enterprise, for him. I believe, yeah. Chasing that space paper, good on him. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that space paper pays for life. It does, man. <laughs> it does. Hey, we talked about some weak jacket game. But you know who do, brings a strong jacket game as usual is Fred. That's right. He's oh, rocking yeah. shearlings. Yeah. I mean, yep. he's just he's, he's game's on point. Yeah. Um, 
you know, one of the things I've always liked about Forrester, and I wouldn't maybe say to bring it back to to Keshi Shimura, I wouldn't say that Shimura and Forrester are the same, but one of the things I think they do share is, and one of the reasons I was so sad, and I'm sure you guys were by his passing, was this warmth and humanity that Forrester has. And I think that's really great casting by Lustig. Um, He cast him because of Alligator, coincidentally. Um, But there's a quality to Forrester that, you know, alongside... um, you know, a handful of other actors I've seen over the years. Uh, he he seems like the kind of actor that I would want to be my dad. Like, just yeah, he seems to have a quality. And I, that's sort of as as high praise as I can give uh, an actor in terms of likability, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's always had that. And I think that's one of the reasons we get behind the tragedy that he faces uh, in this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, man. In Zoolander, we get a gas shower. The gas shower in this ain't isn't as fun for the guy. No, no. No, <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, that's rough. At all. Uh, so we get Fred the Hammer. We get another GGTMC favorite uh, in uniform here. Steve James as a patrol cop. Yeah, yeah. I forgot he was even in this, and then he popped up. So and I did like, I. I was like, oh, that's cool, Steve James. Yeah, that that was good times, man. Speaking of good times, golden days. No bras under the sweaters. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going there, man. Hammer. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, my next note was shitty ass denim vest with logos, but Sammy's already ticked that box. <laughs> oh man, I'd like to have that logo though. I'd like to have that bad logo on like a coffee tumbler. I could we would take to work or something. You know, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah that would be amazing. Um, maybe that, I love. The, maybe we've been talking about changing the GGTMC podcast uh, thing. Maybe we should have somebody kind of that's the logo. Ape that logo, put GGTMC on there. You know, in like some gang font. Established like, yeah. 1978, yeah, <laughs> or yeah, 77. That'd be amazing. 77, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, I love the so Lustig takes the uh, the girl eating the ice cream in Assault on Precinct 13 and ups the ante. Um, we get that silhouette and we see out the window what's happening and it, it it's pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's, horrible. It's really terrible. Yeah. And it, it, he doesn't take the exploitative route there. Like no. he, there's the restraint is more powerful. Yeah. 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 Right. It's, I it's think so. I think, visceral. I think it's very well handled, uh, for that type of thing. Right. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's not something I enjoy seeing, but I think it's handled well. Yeah. Yeah. I still find uh, the, I still find the carpenter one very it's very disturbing when you go back and look at it it's it is it's rough it's it's well played though it shows it what you know what the protagonists are up against um, I'll tell you man there's there's a guy in this there's a Chinese dude that's got a Prince Valiant haircut <laughs> I can't remember which scene he's in but he's the dude from Last Dragon that busts the boombox in the theater at the beginning oh, of the film yeah he is man you're right yeah <laughs> oh. Man, I, can't, I don't know his name, but I, I know that face. I've seen it so many times, right? Man, he, he fucking hates music being played during his movie. I guess we all do, but he's every man in that scene. Yeah, I got to say, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I'd turn into Fred Williamson if somebody was playing a boombox in a movie theater, but I might. I mean, I'd, I'd be pretty upset. Like, come on, man. Cell phones are one thing, but a boombox? Look yeah, at the, the Spinal fan club. Uh, <laughs> They're really upset, man. I'm going to drop that, I'm gonna have to drop that dirty money roll on the bathroom sink there. <laughs> <laughs> um you know there's a scene when uh where is this there's a scene in the washroom where someone oh it's uh you know i don't know i'm bumbling around here but there's a scene when someone is brawling in a, a bathroom i think or maybe it's when when uh 
Hammer's got the, the one guy. And I, I had said here, if this was an Italian film, they would have put that dude's head in the urinal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they would have taken it further. Yep. <clears throat> I know, I know that you guys dug that uh, that big-haired prostitute. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit. It's handled? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Sammy search. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> I love the... Uh, the off kilter kind of dreamy. It's almost Morricone esque, kind of off kiltery stuff that Shadowway uses when they're tailing Horus. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good, mm-hmm. really good. Uh, burr, 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 burr. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of notes. I think the gang members were a little old to be gang banging, but you know, yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're, like, they're, held, they're holding on to it big time. Maybe that might explain the uh, the insignias on the back of the jackets. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. But it's, it's funny. It's like they were they were a bit of an amusing gang. It's like one looked like Darren Anderson with a beard. There's Bobby Womack. Um, one looked like know. Che Guevara. Yeah, I mean, one it's like Che Guevara. <laughs> it's like it's like the color me bad of street gangs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. George Michael and fucking yeah. Todd's favorite band, you know. What I'm yeah, that's it, man. Uh, Todd's got a silk. Shirt. He only records in a silk shirt. Nothing yeah, else. That's right. God, they're gonna drag me into that one now too. He wants to ATM you up. Air, air, air quote drag. Air yes. quote against his will. Yes, right. <laughs> all right, those are all my notes. Those all are right. my notes. Let's do make or break right. MVTs. What you got, Todd? I got uh, make or break for me is the courtroom scene. It is the height uh, of the emotional weight of the film. Uh, it's the breaking point, and I think that everything following it is catharsis. Um, MVT, I'm going to go with a little bit of a cheat here. I'm going to go with the Forster Hammer combo. Um, they carry the weight of the movie in their own unique ways, uh, and they certainly carry it all the way through. So, uh, kudos on them and score for me is eight out of 10. Uh, yeah, this thing is rock, rock solid. Nice. Uh, and it, it, uh, it hits, uh, everything it needs to hit. It hits it well. Um, and it's, you know, as the, the kids like to say, big enough to touch all the sides. So, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> kick it over to one of you guys. <laughs> that's what I say about a certain. That's what I say about a certain something else on me. That's, that's right. <laughs> That'd be your thumb. The uh, that's all the sides, buddy. <laughs> that thumb knuckle. Um, that's right. <laughs> love. Did you say love or, bl- or thumb? Love knuckle, thumb knuckle. That's what I said. <laughs> your love knuckle is a totally different story. Uh, yeah. My my MVT is a bit of a cheat as well, man. Uh, I really want to say just Robert Forster, right? But I still think, you know, the great performances from Robert Forster. I still think the, the two greatest performances he ever had was an alligator and and uh, Max Cherry and uh, Jackie Brown. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and Medium Cool, that's a great performance as well. But, medium Cool is so fucking good. But it's a bit of a cheat because I really like what Bill Lustig did here. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, I think this is an underrated movie in his filmography. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of movies. Um, but you know, that, that, like I said, those first three films, I mean, he really established himself as an interesting filmmaker and I'm kind of surprised that it just didn't really work out for him for a longer career as far as directing goes. Um, but maybe then again, maybe he didn't want to do it anymore. I mean, directing is not, from what I understand, every interview I've ever read, it's not an easy job. You got to be a special person to want to keep doing that. Uh, which is why I'm always impressed with like these guys like, uh, Scorsese and them who still somehow have this energy. To oh, want to wow. keep, to want to keep doing Clint Eastwood, it. Clint Eastwood, who's like ninety almost. <laughs> I know they still want to keep Fucking doing insane. it. It just seems like a lot of work, you know. And 
they just enjoy the work, you know, and maybe Lustig didn't. Uh, man, he loves movies still. That's obvious. So, um, but yeah, he, I, I think he should be more champion for this movie. It's very solid. Uh, not that Maniac isn't. It's an amazing debut, but this is a really good second feature. Um, he didn't really lose any ground, in my opinion. Uh, make or break for me. There's a lot of good scenes in this movie. I like the scene in the factory, the quote-unquote factory, the auto mechanic shop, where they're all kind of talking and explaining stuff. I like that. I think that Forster's perfect in that. I like Richard Bright in that. I can't, I can't think of the other actor's name. There's another guy that we keep. He's kind of like oh. the third wheel. Uh, yeah. but he, he's good too in his little moments and then of course Williamson man Williamson is I, I agree with Will and probably Todd I think you said it as well I mean as far as acting goes Fred Williamson has one note but yeah. in this one it might be the most perfect of Fred Williamson's performances Fred yep. Williamson's performances I mean it might just be the, the most note perfect because he just he feels right and he he's really really good in the movie. He almost feels like a father figure at the same time being this kind of leader and stuff. And it's in, it's it's just, it's just interesting the way they handle it. And I think he's really good. My score for the film, I agree with you, Todd. It's an eight out of ten, man. This thing is, I mean, it's a near oh. it's a near masterpiece for an exploitation film. I mean, it really is that good. And mm-hmm. I just think it's a shame that it's kind of like I said. I've read some reviews over the years that have kind of shit on it, and it's really a shame because it's better than anybody probably remembers it being. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, make or break. I'm going to go with, uh, like you said, Sammy, the scene when they're talking to Forrester at the shop. Um, and I think one of the things that makes uh, Williamson so good in the role is is his charisma. It's believable that he's going to kind of be the ringleader of something like this. And I like that they do play it with some nuance. And they play it in a way that um, there's a little bit of that teetering on the sort of self-righteous or blind justice, but they're still like, they, they buy into it. They don't become, I don't know. The the lustig strikes a good balance there, but uh, that's my make or break scene. MVT, man, I would like to give it to Forrester, but mm, it's hard. It's hard, man. The, the humanity he brings. Um, I'm going to say, I want to give it to, uh, I'm going to do the cheat, man, the catch-all cheat. I want to say that everyone involved with the production, because you think you take a million dollars, you're going to make a film that's going to hit like this, and it's going to have performances that are great. It's a genre film, but it it, it says something. It has you know heart and a brain, and uh, it's very timely. Um, so that's going to be my MVT is this, the people involved with the film. Quarterback by the heartbeat of the film, uh, Robert Forrester. Uh, my script of the film's slightly lower than your guys, 7.75 out of 10. Um, good stuff. Nice to revisit it. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Cool. So that is the big show. Might sound like I'm rushing things, but that's because I am. But I got a twofold problem. One, we got to record another show. Two, I got to piss like a racehorse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, we hope you Pinching enjoyed the show. Here. Yeah, yeah, we hope you enjoyed the show. We definitely. What are we covering next week? <laughs> next week we're talking. <laughs> next week we'll be talking uh, the Blob from 1988, the Chuck Russell uh, remake, which oddly has come up quite a bit in conversations lately. So why not recover it? And uh, we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's uh, Carpenter's Carpenter's. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I came from another country for a minute there. John Carpenter's Vampires uh, from 1998. So wow, 88 and 98. Yep. So that's what we're going to be talking about. It'll be our Diabolic DVD show. We hope you join us. I will say adios. 
Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.